podcast. I am Jason, and with me is Rich. Hello, Rich. How's it going? Going well, man. Just uh, we're digging into uh, the end of the 1998 regular season, the last month or so of the season. Some uh, some fun uh, playoff races stuff going on. Some uh, labor issues. Some uh, some craziness and some uh, some disgruntled uh, NBA players not happy in their uh, team situation. So got a lot of fun. A lot of good stuff. About. Yeah, a lot of good stuff. I was trying to uh, make a clever like, hey, this happened in March of 1998, and it really nothing happened. I guess uh, Bill Gates testified at the uh, Senate Judiciary Committee. But Microsoft's uh, <laughs> position there, in the software good. industry, yeah. that's cool, right? That's really yeah. exciting. Uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin Sin- threw some yeah. stunners, I'm sure, so that was cool. Like, well, I mean, he kicked off the Stone Cold era winning the uh, title at WrestleMania true, that year. True, yeah. Yeah, He was not going to be so, a corporate champion. That's, uh, that's one thing no, he definitely was not going to be. Um, he would never do that. Garth Brooks would... won a uh, country music award, so that's cool. Oh, okay. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> that sounds like something that happened in the 90s. I believe that. Yeah, you know we got we got all the exciting. I, I was you know going to kick this off with some you know real exciting. But no, 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 we got the exciting stuff in our thing. There's oh, an yeah, exciting absolutely. world event. The world, the eyes of the world were on the NBA at this time because there was some crazy stuff going on. There was some crazy stuff going on. Clyde Drexler announces retirement. <laughs> Insane. <laughs> Insane. He, in fact, instead of uh, playing basketball, he decided he would uh, become the coach of uh, University of Houston as alma mater. So. Uh, Kind of a, uh, I don't know, that that's an unusual transition to go straight from playing to uh, coaching, you know, uh, but I, I guess he got a nice little uh, deal going on there. And uh, and yeah, I, I do feel like Clyde gets uh, a little underrated in terms of, uh, you know, all-time greats. I mean, he was, you know, like top 50 all-time. Like, I, I don't want to say he's completely overlooked, but... Um, He's one of those guys who's a little bit of victim of uh, of the spotlight of Jordan, you know, glaring so brightly during Jordan's time where, you know, Drexler, obviously he wasn't as good and he you know, was definitely like maybe an eight to Jordan's 10, but that's still, you know, really, really good. You know, one of the best players of his era. Yeah, no, absolutely. He, he reminds me of similar to like a George Gervin type or whatever, where there was just like another guy at similar positions that just completely overshadowed him. And, and, and unfortunately, that happened with Drexler is, you know, the most times that, you know, a, a, maybe a casual people will re- really mention Clyde Drexler, really go into him all that much. is just that like the Portland Trailblazers just got booey because they had Drexler or whatever. That's kind of like used to, to, to laugh at him or whatnot. But it was a real thing. I mean, he was a great player. And there was a reason why the Blazers said, all right, we're good at shooting guard. We don't need this Jordan guy because we got Drexler. And, and it absolutely stood true for, for years and years and years. And obviously the Houston run, he goes there. Big part of them, you know, winning their second championship or whatever. So, yeah, he had a great career. And like you said, uh, it feels bad that we're talking about an underrated, you know, top 50 all-time player. But it just seems um, he does kind of get overshadowed a lot by Jordan. Playing the similar position, playing a very similar style game. It's not like he was the best in the league at any one thing at any one time in his career. But still made for a really good and really long career. And and, and a guy that probably doesn't get his enough love for how great he was in his early years, too. I mean, that dude was super athletic. If you go back and watch uh, some of his stuff, it's kind of crazy to see what he was able to do and, 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 and how he was able to fly on the same level that, uh, you know, the, the, the Jordan later would. And, and, and everybody kind of uh, attributes to Jordan and, and now, you know, what we see nowadays with, you know, just high flyers all over the place. But Drexler was a little ahead of his time in that in that respect. Yeah, I mean, he's up there in aesthetic quality of like a Dominic Wilkins and a Michael Jordan of just like, you know, making all these amazing high flying great plays and all these, you know, all, all these great scoring and yeah, and, and had a lot of team success, too. I mean, you know, led the uh, Blazers to two finals, won that second championship with Houston, as you mentioned. I mean, he, he has that those bonafides, too. He absolutely was a um, he was was a winning player. It wasn't like he was a guy who you know, could never get out of the second round, even like Wilkins was he, as much as I love Dominique. You know, uh, he, you know, ha- had a you know great deal of success in his career just uh, yeah again just a little bit behind uh 
you know, maybe a lot behind, but but still, you know, behind Jordan. Um, yeah. So in terms of you know going to uh, coaching, he uh, signed a five-year contract with a base salary of one hundred fifty thousand dollars, although could earn much more through incentives. Uh, the athletic director uh, Chet Gladchuk um, said, <laughs> that, "Great name, great name, by the way." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Glad that we got that name in our in here. Uh, <laughs> Clyde will succeed as our head coach. His personal and professional endeavors illustrate success in whatever the challenge. He had no coaching experience, but hey, they didn't see it as a problem. You know, uh, I mean, um, yeah, director said, I've been a student of the game, and I went from playing under one legend in college, Guy Lewis, straight to another legend, Jack Ramsey with the Portland Trailblazers. I would think out of all the essentials, you need to be a coach after that. So, uh, Rich, uh, how do we? How do you do? Uh, not great. Uh, he lasted only two seasons. We'll kind of peer into our crystal ball here. Uh, he, uh, he lasted only two seasons in, uh, in Houston. He compiled a 19 and 39 record. I finished sixth in the conference each year and he decided, uh, decided to resign, uh, after those two years to spend more time with his family and he never coached again. So yeah. not great. <laughs> Broadcasting career though. You know, he's, uh, he, he's, he's done some stuff. He's been around, you know, he's yeah, uh, absolutely. And, and, and to be honest, like a lot of the, when, when you read a little bit of the reports and like, I don't know enough about college basketball or the history of college to, to, to dig in, but, uh, people were talking about that. He had brought some pretty decent recruits to Houston and maybe I, I forget what they did in the, in the years after, but at least brought some prestige to the university, which had kind of fallen out of favor post five slam and jamma. Like they had really fallen on some hard times. And, and the idea that getting Drexler in there for even a few years to get some recruits who obviously would adore and, and look up to a Clyde Drexler versus just some random, you know, schmuck, you know, college coach was definitely a benefit and then it was like after those two years maybe time for another guy to kind of get in there and, and, and coach these guys but uh yeah i don't know enough about uh the history or or, or the future of uh houston university of houston college hoops but uh, all the quotes when he resigned seemed to think that you know he was doing good stuff it was just that you know his head wasn't totally in the game and, and a lot of the quotes too you read um Drexler just talks about how much more, like how difficult it was to 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 do that. It's to just go from being you know a player to to now you got to be you know getting in houses and doing you know recruiting trips and and studying film and doing this and and you're in charge of all these people. And I there's quotes that seem to indicate that he was pretty overwhelmed right off the bat. Like oh oh boy, <laughs> like what did I get myself into? So it made a lot of sense that that he would eventually resign. Yeah, speaking of someone who's overwhelmed, uh, Bryant Reeves, uh, big country. Um, he of course was the uh, stalwart uh, draft pick from the. Uh, Vancouver Grizzlies was a couple years in his career here, and um, you know he's a little bit, I think, considered a you know a punchline for you know the Grizzlies franchise in Vancouver, and you know bad drafts and bad decisions and slow white guys, and you know you pick your punchline, whatever he kind of fits in it. But you know he actually did have some moments, and he really um, had a made a habit of really being strong, particularly after the uh, All Star break. Um, in, in fact. Um, for his career up to that point, he was um, averaged uh, went from uh, 13 points per game to 18.4 after the break, and uh, in the 98 season he went from 13.2 points to 21.5, and um, and he was particularly impressive in uh, March. He just he really had a stretch where he you know seemed really awesome, and the Grizzlies actually showed a little bit of promise of some success. Yeah, no, so his March was incredible. So he had uh, 23.5 points per game, 8.3 rebounds per game. He put up uh, uh, 30-plus points uh, four different times, including three straight games in mid-March against the Clippers, Portland, and New York. And now, you know, you look at those three teams, the Clippers were awful. So, that I mean, okay, (laughs) you know, I'm not going to give you too much credit for putting up 30 on a terrible Clippers team. Man, Portland and New York, those are pretty solid teams, and and those are no slouches. Uh, And and to show you how bad the Grizzlies were, the the Clippers were, the Grizzlies beat them by 11, and the Grizzlies were horrible, too. So uh, a lot of bad playing. But, yeah, the Knicks 
the Blazers were, were, were no slouches, so that's definitely a, a you know feather in in Reeves' cap, and and it showed. Yeah, like you said, there was kind of always this. We look back at him now, or a lot of people look back at him now as like, oh, look how terrible the Grizzlies were, and look how terrible he was, and 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 he wasn't bad. Like, he was very good. It's just you know his weight became an issue. I think he had a lot of back issues, a lot of knee issues. Injuries just sapped everything that you had out of him. But there was a f- solid four or five years where he looked like if not the cornerstone, a guy that was going to eventually when the Grizzlies got good or when they would uh, compile enough guys, he would be one of the many guys that sort of helped lead them or whatever. But, I mean, really, he led them in those those first few years, and, and they were bad. But, you know, without him, God only knows what would have happened with them. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there's things are still looking bleak in Vancouver at this time, and they're not looking great. But you got uh, Sharif Abdul-Rahim, who's now in his second year. He's starting to kind of emerge and kind of find his footing as a, as a power forward in the league. And then you have Reeves, um, who signed a huge extension in the offseason. He seems to be showing that he might be worth that money. So things are, are looking good in Vancouver, but unfortunately, as we would know, it'd be quite a while until things would, would actually come together. But you, you're starting to see some of the pieces uh, in place here. It's just, you know, for, for one reason or another, they, they didn't all, you know, see them, see themselves through, especially with Reeves and his injuries. Yeah, and at age 24, you know, this season, you know, 16.3 points per game, 7.9 uh, rebounds, like, um, you know, reasonably strong advanced stats, uh, 17.3 PER, 56 true shooting percentage. You know, he's, uh, you know, a, a, a positive player in via replacement. So, you know, there's some potential here going in, you know, at age 24, like, oh, you know, he might turn into a player. And then, yeah, as you mentioned, the it starts turning around the next year as the injuries catch up with him and, you know, and, and maybe the weight issues maybe exacerbated by the injuries he kind of falls off from there but it, you know for for a small amount of time it looked like he might turn into you know an, an actual like positive uh player but that's you know it's what happens in the nba yeah absolutely yeah so uh next uh, our guy wouldn't talk about uh players we're focusing on this month alonzo uh, morning he uh he, he had a bit of a rough season uh early on he'd been injured for early on in the season missed uh you know 20 something games uh and uh and Isaac Austin actually uh, took over and uh, you know played pretty well in his uh, in his stead, uh, but uh, he came back. Austin was traded, and uh, toward the end of uh, March, he was named Player of the Week, averaging a twenty-five point three points per game, eleven point rebounds per game, uh, leading Miami on a, a a pretty strong stretch as they you know as they were you know playing pretty well, getting a high seed in the East, and unfortunately. Uh, just a few days later, he suffered a fractured left cheekbone and uh, underwent surgery uh, after the game. And yeah, he didn't didn't really have a whole lot with uh, with Austin gone. They did not have a a whole lot behind him at center. No, yeah. With uh, so Zoe goes out. The Heat's replacements were uh, journeyman Dwayne Coswell. And at that point, seldom used Marty Conlon at center. But uh, it actually turned out to be maybe okay because the Heat dropped the first post-morning game uh, in San Antonio. Uh, they recovered, though, the, the night later or a few nights later uh, with a win uh, over morning's former team, the Charlotte Hornets. And in that game, just to kind of show you those replacements, Conlon had 11 points in 27 minutes and Coswell played 21 minutes. He only scored four points, but he had a, a game-high 14 rebounds. So not bad at all for those. And uh, the good thing... For, uh, the, or the good news for the Heat is morning return just a few games later with a really sweet mask. So it was all good. Yeah, always nice when you get the I love mask. a good NBA mask. I yeah, love the yeah, mask, yeah. It yeah. was the clear one. It was the, you know, it wasn't the cool Joanne Embiid uh, black one, but it was, it was a, morning looked pretty intimidating in there. So he was a pr- pretty intimidating guy in his own right, but yeah, you throw the mask in there and it was all fogging up and there was sweat everywhere. Yeah. And it, it was, it, it worked pretty well. Yeah, the Bill Ambeer special, you know. So um, yeah, yeah, he you know he had a uh, he had a strong season uh, that year, nineteen point two points per game, um, 
9.6 rebounds. So, you know, getting near 2010 there, I, he was going to re- really pick it up in the next couple of years as well as he's getting into his uh, into his late 20s. Uh, the, you know, the, the Heat were, uh, they actually f- ended up finishing 55 and 27 uh, that year. And, you know, they, they had a pretty good uh, stretch uh, toward the end of it. They did lose a few, they did lose a f- five out of seven uh, toward the uh, end of the season, but they, you know, at that, at that point they were, you know, locked into a pretty high seed. So yeah, they, and they did play, as you mentioned, they, he scored, um, you know, he, he, he did pretty well in the, uh, in the final six games of the season as they were breaking down 20.1 points per game, 9.3 runs per game. So, you know, was able to uh, you know, make pretty good do uh, with that mask. Yeah. And that's always a tough thing is how guys adjust with the mask and how, how they sort of, and a lot of guys, nobody's really happy about wearing the mask, and nobody really wants to wear the mask, with the exception of Rip Hamilton. But I, I'm sure when it officially happened, or when the first time it happened, Rip wasn't exactly happy about it, didn't really love it. I mean, guys don't like it. It's uncomfortable. It's weird. Uh, but a lot of guys seem to adjust, because again, like once you kind of figure it out and you understand, hey, this thing's just on me, whatever, uh, a lot of guys just go back to being who they are. And it's like, you know, very rarely are guys just like, well, I'm horrible now that I have the mask on or whatever. And and yeah, morning obviously coming back a few days after, you know, the broken cheekbone was was something that the, the Heat absolutely needed. But yeah, he adjusted perfectly fine and was, was, was good around. Off the bat so and uh last we have jason kidd who uh was twice named a player of the week uh, during this period uh march 16th and april 19th the end of the uh, season um in that first stretch he averaged 16 points uh, 10 assists 6.5 rebounds and three steals on a 67 true shooting percentage was his third career player of the week award up to that point uh, and had an awesome triple-double against his former team on March uh, 15th, the, the Mavericks, uh, 20 points, 13 rebounds, and 12 assists, and was only the twenty, the second 20-plus point triple-double of the season in the ninth of his career, and of course it would become a common occurrence later in Kitts' career. He would have 34 of those in total. And uh, yeah, I, you know, and of course he, he was with the Suns at this point. We discussed them a little bit um, in earlier episodes, and I, I think we got more on them uh, coming mm-hmm. up, but definitely a, uh, a a strong period for Kid after, you know, a little bit of a, you know, the of course, a, a rough exit in Dallas and some adjustments. You know, he's playing in uh, on a team with uh, Kevin Johnson and uh, in second year Steve Nash, who's you know showing some signs of you know, you know I don't think anyone had any MVP ideas about him at that point, but certainly showing some signs of some talent. So a, a crowded a rotation at guard, Rex Chapman's there as well, and but they you managed to figure it out and have a pretty successful team that year. Yeah, we'll talk about them in a little bit, but they're they're a pretty fascinating team because you got like a bunch of guys that can score like all at once. You got you know Danny Manning's coming off the bench and he can score, and then you have Antonio McDyess and he can score, and then you have you know Jason Kidd doling out assists, but also Kevin Johnson doling out assists and Steve Nash doling out. It's a, it's a fascinating team, and then, then Rex Chapman's like their leading scorer. Like of all those guys, then Rex Chapman's leading scorer. We'll get to them here in a little bit though because uh, they they've been playing pretty good ball through the rest of the year, and then we'll find uh, a stretch in the last part of the year where they just go nuts and and and, and really lead themselves into a pretty decent uh, uh, playoff run too. But we'll get to them. Uh, here in a little bit when we talk about spotlight teams yeah uh so our first spotlight team is the orlando magic and um they had a really interesting season i think that their, their dominant uh story is just injuries and, and particularly the injuries to uh, penny hardaway and finally uh mid-march uh, the, the 12th of march the orlando placed him on injured reserve with a strained left calf basically said he's going to likely miss the uh, rest of the season uh they activated mike Mark Price and assigned Kevin Ollie to a second 10-day contract to replace him. Um, and uh, Chuck Daly had an interesting quote. Right now, we've got to play with people we have. I mean, what are you going to do? That's the way it's been all season. That's the way it's going to be. I like to have some sympathy for how many opponents are playing our guys, but our job as coaches is to put them in position to win at the end of the game. As far as coming up with substitutions or play calling, that's our job. Their job is to perform and play. So, you know, he 
definitely seemingly taken some shots at Hardaway throughout the season here and there, or, or just kind of their guys is not being tough enough. And he was all interpreted as veiled shots at Hardaway. Um, and, uh, but you know, they managed to kind of make do and, and kind of hang in there. And it, they had, uh, the oldest center starting center in the NBA in 30 year old Danny Shays and the oldest starting point guard in 36 year old Derek Harper. So, uh, and in fact, after those two were put in the starting lineup, they were six and two and they were in a tie f- with Cleveland for the eighth and final uh, playoff spot in the Eastern conference. This is roughly, uh, roughly mid March. So they, you know, were, were able to, you know, put some things together and it looked like they might actually make the playoffs, but it didn't quite happen for them. No. And yeah, it's, it, it's a very odd season. Cause like they're, they're an okay team. They're fine. And, and you look up down that roster and, you know, obviously you have, you have Penny Hardaway there. You have Horace Grant, you have a few other guys that, you know, Nick Anderson's in the world. And then you just have like up and down the roster, just a bunch of like guy, like Derek Strong and David Benoit. And they, they signed Spud Webb at one point and they have Donald Royal and, and Tim Kempton and they have other guys. Uh, it's all 22 players suited up for Orlando this season, 11 of which uh, started a game at one point so that just shows you they were just grabbing anybody they could possibly find you mentioned Kaminali earlier they were just anybody that could suit up anybody that could have working limbs could could play for the magic this year uh and it actually worked out pretty well I mean they, they got there like you said it's it's it, it, they're getting as close as they can and yeah it's not looking like this is going to be a season that that, that they're going to make the playoffs and they're, they're right in the tie and it's whatever but yeah it's just it's crazy to see how many people suited up and uh April was definitely not kind I mean they had sort of weathered the storm you know through most of the year but but April came and it, it, it kind of it became a little too much for them um Hardaway and Armstrong uh, was Daryl Armstrong, uh, by the way. I think we mentioned him a little bit earlier. Uh, they both missed, obviously, the majority of the seasons. Uh, Hardaway, Hardaway tried to come back for the All-Star game, and and that led to a whole, you know, <laughs> looking into crystal ball led to a lot of issues as well with Penny Hardaway. But uh, they lost five games in April. Uh, they fell to 10th uh, in the conference, so it came pretty quick. Uh, the team was also last in the NBA in pace. They had a bottom uh, NBA offense, scoring only 102 points uh, per 100 possessions and about 90.1 points per game. 90.1. Remember that? That's, that was a real thing. That was a real scoring total in this league. The same league that you know, you're turning on tonight probably. That same league, there was a team that scored 90 point once per game, and they were not the worst in the league. Uh, the defense was solid, but there just wasn't enough firepower from that team. Uh, and it looks like, and it was, with all intents and purposes, and, and Crystal Ball, that their, uh, their streak of four straight playoff appearances uh, dating back to 1984 will end, and it looks like Orlando was also on pace uh, for their lowest win total since 1993. So they had really established themselves, you, you know, obviously with Shaquille O'Neal and, 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 and teaming him with Penny Hardaway, but things are starting to look a little rough in Orlando, and that's, you know, obviously as, as an expansion franchise, they found success pretty early, they had a bunch of first-round picks, or first overall picks, I should say, and they were able to be one of the dominant teams of the league pretty early into their, their life, but things are starting to kind of unravel here a little bit. Uh, next, we have the uh, Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they, uh, they they won 15 out of 16 games, including 10 in a row from uh, late February to uh, late March. Uh, finished the year 6-7, uh, and seven, but won over 50 games that year. And um, in mid-March, you know, the, they were lucky to have the types of challenges that you envy in terms of uh, Coach Dave Cowens trying to find uh, minutes for uh, Del Curry, who missed 29 games with a strained right calf. And... Uh, but, you know, Curry's quote was, hey, it would win 10 in a row. So when I came back, I didn't want to disrupt anything we had going. So he only played nine minutes in three games since his return. I think he was incorporated more into the team after that. But, yeah, the we talked a little bit about them. But I, I just think the Hornets are had such an interesting roster that year. I mean, if you look up and down at, um, you know, who they had on if, who they had on that team. I mean, they have, of course, uh, Anthony Mason. They have... Um, they have Vladi Divat, uh, they have uh, B.J. Armstrong, um, they have um, 
uh, David Wesley and Bobby Fills, um, and uh, Glenn Rice. Of Glenn course. Rice, yeah. He's, he's, he's their top star. You know, he's uh, you know you know Del Curry there, the, kind of the last uh, of the original uh, Hornets, and uh, you know Matt Geiger, you know, contributing some pretty good stuff to there. Um, even a little bit of Vernon Maxwell there. So you know, yeah. they, they've got they've just got a uh, you know a pretty random assortment of guys, but you know some really good players and a uh, really deep in the bench, a very young Tony Delk. You know, about to. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, from, with dreams of scoring fifty points. I was going to say visions of the yeah. future. In, you know, in yeah. ten years, I'm going to score. I promise, I'm going to score fifty points in a game. But yes. uh, and we talked about earlier in the year too. It's kind of a change in the garden in, in Charlotte as well because Muggsy Bogues got hurt pretty early in the year, and there was kind of some they weird, got traded. Yeah, exactly, there was right. a weird kerfuffle yeah. with him. So it really felt like this was kind of a whole new era of, of Charlotte Hornets basketball. Obviously, no Alonzo Mourning, uh, no Larry Johnson, and now no Muggsy Bogues. I mean, obviously, you got guys like Glenn Rice and Mason who sort of weathered that storm and, and led that next generation. But they do feel like a very different team than they had been for almost the previous half decade mm-hmm. yeah and, and wesley's and phil's as we mentioned were kind of their big you know free agents and of course they were able to get divot from the um you know through the, through the uh for kobe bryant deal which obviously long term was not good for but short term you know was, was perfectly fine for them so um but yeah um so yeah as we we talked about you know they um you know um and then yeah it, it, their Matt Geiger played really well after being inserted in the uh, the starting lineup in mid January, average fifteen and nine, and uh, he was one of the guys who was going to become a free agent over the summer. And there was some worry about you know like Geiger was a free agent, Vladi was a D- was a free agent, worrying about you know being able to keep that team together. Uh, Anthony Mason spoke about being worried about that, and um, but unfortunately you know they did slip a little bit as we mentioned six and seven to end the year early April. You know Cowan's uh, you differs with those who say the Hornets are the NBA's most inconsistent team. And he says that, um, you know, he says that, you know, I'm sure we've had our ups and downs like everyone else, but I'm kind of tired of hearing about us being inconsistent. And he honestly, with, you know, the Hawks who won 14 games and lost like eight games, you know, in a row during the season, like I may, maybe they're not quite the most inconsistent team in the league, although they would definitely be up there. Yeah, the Hawks definitely like, I, mean, I think they take the cake being like the best team in the league for the first, you know, month and a half and then being like, okay. And then, yeah, they, they fluctuate a lot. But yeah, there's there's definitely some some examples of the inconsistency in Charlotte. Uh, what's fun too is they're, they're a great home team, 32 and 9. On the road, they're 19 and 22, which is, you know, it's pretty common, obviously, to be better at home, but that's a pretty big discrepancy there between those two. Uh, they went 12 and 3 in March, so hey, everything's going good. And they followed up by going 5 and 5 in April. So, ah, damn it, Cowens, what are you doing? Uh, but then the Hornets, um, uh, they're only 11 and 15 against other the other seven Eastern Conference teams that will qualify the, for the playoffs if, if they kind of start around the same time. So that includes 0 and 3 against the Hawks, uh, and the Hornets will play them uh, coming up here in a little bit. And it looks like you know as as, as we're kind of recording this and, and looking at the scope or whatever, that looks like what's going to be the first round matchup uh, in the Eastern Conference Finals. But you know, on the good news, you know, we talked about them being kind of iffy against the other Eastern Conference teams. Well, they're 20 and 8 against the Western Conference. So it's it, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on. With All that they team, have to so. do is make the finals, and they'll totally be fine. Exactly. Yeah. Then whoever they play. Yeah. <laughs> And play, matter, get, yeah. home uh, get home court advantage all the way throughout, and then get to the finals, and they're good. Then there's going to yeah. be title town in Charlotte. Seems, but. seems doable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So. But uh, yeah, their April doesn't go great, as I mentioned. They go five and five, and some uh, some issues start to arise. Yes, Anthony Mason, who uh, speaks, they, they had a long players only meeting uh, toward the end of the year, and Anthony Mason said it's going to take time to work on what we have to work on. It was good soul searching meeting that we came away without any animosities. Now we can go play and just concentrate on basketball. So we'll see how it goes. You yeah. know, it, I, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure the Hornets you know, championship bound. You know, it seems like it's their year. It's it's definitely and and, and one thing because we're mentioning Matt Geiger and I know people are like, oh Matt Geiger, he was great this year. <laughs> Matt Geiger was yeah. really good this year, and he was yeah. really good his first year in Philly too. Which you know, Crystal Ball again, he he will leave Charlotte in the offseason and go to Philadelphia and had an amazing year. 
year then and, and was still pretty good up until, you know, helping AI and, and that Philly team or whatever, and then kind of fell off a cliff immediately after that because of injuries or whatnot. So, like, you know, most people, you know, most people probably listen to this. Their scope of Matt Geiger is kind of Sixers Matt Geiger, but he was really good at this point, like a good scorer, good rebounder, good defender. So there was a lot of good stuff that, that, that Matt Geiger offered. So when you hear about him and hear how Anthony Mason's like, well, he's a key part of this team, that's not, like, totally unrealistic. Like, he absolutely was a, a, a pretty big part of that. Yeah, he had a, a 20 PER that season yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, was, you know, a strong score. I mean, he was, he was coming off the bench. So, you know, he, he was it was more of a limited role, but he was still he was, he was performing well. He was shooting the three real well. I mean, he was a, you know, he was a definitely valuable player for them. Um, yeah. And uh, last we have uh, the New York Knickerbockers. Um, and uh, this is kind of nearing an end of an era for the uh, Knicks um, and, and a little bit of a team that was unlike the previous teams because, They've been without Patrick Ewing for uh, most of the season since he you know, broke his wrist trying to catch an alley-oop in December. Uh, yeah, so so Ewing's been having a lot of stuff. There's, there's speculation throughout the last half of the year if he was going to return or not, or was he going to be a Willis Reed figure and whatnot and, and come back and, 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 and save the next seasons. But uh, they didn't really need it because they, uh, they weathered the storm pretty well without him. Um What's really interesting, though, is there was there's a couple articles talking about uh, Ewing. The, the best one is from the uh, May 18th uh, SI. Sorry, I don't have the author here, but it's called Give the Big Man a Big Hand by Being an Impatient Patient. So a little bit of a wordy headline, but it was a great story because it talks about uh, just how much he was training and how he like wanted to get back and was busting his ass and, and, and doing whatever he could and weight training whenever he could and, and, and working out at night and doing everything he could to get back as soon as possible. And it, it definitely wasn't a lack of motivation that was, that was keeping him away. But he had a really bad issue. I mean, the, the, we talk about the broken wrist and, and and that article kind of details too like we kind of think of a broken wrist yeah whatever put a cast on it you, you know you're fine but a lot of people wondered if he would ever play again and his doctors basically were like well we'll see what happens we'll see how you you know work on rehab because the wrist is obviously a very big part of you know what you need in basketball and then the, the particular break that he had seemed to indicate that it probably wouldn't heal right and that a shot may never be right ever again so when they saw him get back and and be able to rehab and stuff it actually was a pretty big you know a, a, a testament to to his work ethic or whatnot so you know obviously he was coming back and and i i, I can bl- see why he he was kind of really rushing to come back and really, you know, juiced to come back. I mean, the Knicks weren't a great team, but the East seemed pretty winnable at this point. I mean, the Bulls looked pretty vulnerable. I don't know that there was another powerhouse that really stood in the way. So the Knicks had a realistic chance if Ewing came back at full strength, you know, they were able to weather the storm without him, that that if he comes back and kind of, you know, works with the team, that there could be a real possibility. Um you know that he would uh, that he would come back and do some good stuff here. Um, this is prior to the quote unquote Ewing theory, which we've talked about before on this show, and we think it's pretty asinine. It's Bill Simmons' thought that like you know some teams are, are are better when when guys get injured or miss time, and you know something about Ewing doing it or whatever. Well, in, in 1998, there was absolutely no Ewing theory to speak of because the the team went seven and seven in January, uh, same record they had in December with Ewing, uh, and then a brief uptick in February, eight and four, and then they were eight and ten in March and three and six in April. So they're weathering a storm. They're doing okay. They they didn't completely tank, but things are definitely not going very well. And, and obviously, they'd like him back. They'd like their, their star player back a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Alan Houston, he's picked up the slack a lot as well. He had a disappointing first year in New York, but uh, he's really put it on this year. Uh, Larry Johnson continues to produce. Obviously, he's nowhere near the level of like peak Larry Johnson because there's obviously back issues and weight issues and whatnot uh, that are plaguing him a little bit. But he's still playing solid basketball, and he's he's he's, he's helping sort of fill the gap uh, for uh, for Ewing's absence. And and the Knicks, you know, they were able to beat up uh, the NBA's lower class in, in March and April, but they lost. Um, you know, most of their wins, if you look, they're against like you know the Grizzlies and the Clippers and those sort of teams. But their losses were all to big playoff teams: Chicago, Charlotte, Indiana, Portland, Utah, Seattle, San Antonio, Atlanta, Miami. I mean, that's that's they, they were just not beating the playoff teams, and it's it was obvious they needed something a little bit more. And Ewing would be, you know, maybe that's something a little more that they could get. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, they had a kind of a funky roster that year, and you talked about kind of being the end of an era. This is the last year for, again, Crystal Ball, for Charles Oakley, and for John Starks as members of the uh, Knicks. And, uh, you know, they have... um, uh, they've they've got 37 year old Buck Williams and 36 year old Terry Cummings is you know fairly important rotation players. Uh, Herb Williams is uh, still uh, is still hanging around age 39. Um, you know they got a lot of guys uh, going. On. You know they've uh, Charlie Ward. You know as you mentioned Larry Johnson, uh, Chris Mills who would be there I think just for one season. Chris Child. So you know, kind of a mix of old and new there. But I, I thought the just kind of throwing in you know some older guys and you know being able to kind of make something out of that season. I mean they were. They still were able to be fourth in defense uh, that season, despite you know lacking you know their their best uh, their, their best big man. And you know, yeah, the the whole Ewing theory thing. I mean, I I would say like in '99 it may have been somewhat true, but that's you know of course like you know 37, 36, 37 year old um, Patrick Ewing, whatever you know toward the end of his career. You know, th- this isn't you know like you know Ewing at the peak of his powers, like um, you know being you know the, the great player that he was. I mean, it was you know yeah, yeah toward the end of his career. Okay, yeah, maybe he kind of got in the way a little bit as he was declining. But yeah, at this point, you know, um, before that injury, he was still, you know, a pretty darn effective player and still, you know, definitely the best player on this team. Right. Yeah. It's, it's similar to like if, if this year somebody was like, ah, I tell you, if you take Carmelo Anthony off the team, they're going to be good. And it's like, yes, that might be true for like this year's Thunder, but it's probably not true for like the other, you know, 12, 15 years of his career, which is probably sure. the Ewing thing. Like, yes, I, ideally maybe an old, you know, 1990-year-old broken down Patrick Ewing off the team is, is, is might be a slight improvement because he's not taking up possessions and points. But yeah, it's not like that just it invalidates Ewing's entire career. But And, and that's not exactly right, what the Ewing exactly. theory technically is, but you know, it, it kind of takes, it's, right. it's taken on a life of its own. and. Yeah, yeah. We don't need to defend Bill Simmons here. No, <laughs> no, I'm not. Yeah, trust me. Trust me. <laughs> not, not something I'm right, Good right, job on the Andre right. Doc, though. I'll give him that. But Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, so, uh team we referred to before, uh, we're going to dig into a little bit. Uh, uh, the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Danny Ainge's uh, Phoenix Suns. Now, he doesn't get credit for building the team, right? He just gets credit <laughs> for being the coach. He was about he... to. Uh, I mean, dude, if you look at some of the trades he was going to make, I mean, that team yeah. would have been great. They would have been great, yeah. They, they were good. Been, they were still really good. But, amazing. man, he was making. I mean, he yeah. almost had Jordan. Like, I, you know, oh, yeah, absolutely. He almost had him. It just and didn't Pippen. work out. Yeah. Pippen. Makes yeah, sense. Pippen yeah. so many times. Like, ten times yeah. he almost had Scotty Pippen. just didn't work out each time. But that's all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure <laughs> we're all ruin that, you know. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they were a little bit, uh, I mean, they were 56 and 26, so they were an extremely good team that year, but they were a little bit up and down, uh, in March, in fact, they stumbled, they, they went, uh, only 10 and seven that year, but April, they, uh, picked things up again, went eight and one, had a strong, uh, you know, uh, run to close out the season and another team with a, a really uh, fun and, um, interesting roster a lot of interesting guys that went in there we talked about the guards already but they also you know had Antonio McDice who was uh just in his third year in the league had been traded from Denver to Houston at the beginning of the season and was just you know really tearing things up yeah no he he was good um he had a stellar April. He averaged uh, 19.3 points per game, 7.1 rebounds per game. He's shooting 62% from the field. They have Rex Chapman, who uh, was going to lead the team in scoring, which is the most perplexing thing in this entire thing, and had a yeah. great final stretch of the season. He scored 20-plus in four of the Suns' last five games. Um, yeah, I mean, this, the team, just to give you an idea in April how good they were, uh, they scored 106.8 points per game. That was their most in any month of the season, and they were giving up only 96 points. So that is a winning recipe there. If you score 10 more than your opponents, you will win. <laughs> it's a lot. So, 
pretty good. But yeah, it's a real weird roster too. I mentioned at the, you know a little bit earlier. Danny Manning's on this team, and and he eventually become the NBA Sixth Man of the Year. He had a great final two months of the season. He had a twenty three point throwback game uh, and a ten point win, uh, a ten point Phoenix win over uh, Seattle. And uh, for Manning, it was a great accomplishment as well because the award was kind of the culmination of a, a long road back, multiple major knee injuries. He had finally kind of put his career back together, and then of course on April 9th, he uh, was placed on the injured reserve for an injured right ACL. So. Damn, <laughs> we almost had it. Yeah, we almost had Danny right. Manning back, and yeah, it's it's crystal ball again. It's not going to go great, Danny. It's you're going to be around for a little while, but you're never going to be great again, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, Danny Manning, a guy that definitely kind of stinks. What what injuries kind of took from him because he was a very good player too for a number of different teams. He's he's one of those guys that kind of gets lost because he doesn't fit. Like, is he a hawk? Is he a clipper? Is he a, a where do you put Danny? But a guy who had a really good run in the '90s. It's just yeah, injuries kind of sapped a lot of the the, the potential from him. Right, absolutely, yeah, um, for sure, yeah, it, yeah. It, it, it's really, actually, you know, they were only twelfth in offensive efficiency that year. You would think a team with, uh, you know, that much offensive talent would have been a little bit higher uh, along those lines. Um, although they did defend pretty well, they were sixth in the league. In, yeah. Uh, so you know, they were they were built a little differently than you kind of would have expect given their strengths and uh, and weaknesses. But uh, you know, on the surface, but yeah, they were. Um, yeah, they were they're fun, interesting little uh, little team. You know, Hot Rod Williams, of course, Clifford Robinson. You know, yeah, Clifford Robinson. Yeah, just, Clifford Robinson, yeah. just like there, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah Danny yeah, Manning, George McLeod. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, Dennis Scott was there. He was traded for Cedric Sabalos, who was there early in the season. You know, just a lot of. Uh, a lot of names for sure. So uh, Steve Nash, we forgot to mention him. He's uh, kind of an unlikely contributor because you know when he gets drafted, a lot of people are like, "What the what the hell is this Steve Nash guy from Santa Clara? What the hell?" Uh, but he started yeah. to really find his footing, and it's not really an easy task when your team has you know Jason Kidd and Kevin Johnson on it. But uh, he's starting to score a lot too, which is actually kind of interesting. Like people kind of think of Nash's, and, and I know people obviously will laud you know Nash's scoring ability, you know, in in his MVP seasons and even in Dallas. But like at this time, you would think that he's a guy who maybe just kind of stays from the background and and, and just kind of does the passing. Does a little bit in his few minutes, but man, he's scoring all over the place. He got 27, uh, uh, 24 points uh, in a win over Denver in April. Then he followed up with a 10 point, 12 assist game on Houston. And the uh, the Suns won that game against Houston by 30 because yeah. Houston is old <laughs> and getting yeah. bad. So it doesn't care anymore. Yeah, yeah, no, but that's all right. But yeah, the Suns, uh, they were all featured four players scoring in double digits. It's uh, McDyce, who we mentioned, Cliff Robinson, uh, Danny Manning, and Kidd. They're all uh, scoring in double figures as well. And, and, and oh, and, and Rex Chapman, of course, because. Yeah, right. Of course. Still, Rex Chapman's leading the team in scoring. What the hell? Like, yeah, yeah. How's that happen? Uh, I I don't know. It's it was different different time. You know. Um, and they're good. One of the best teams in the yeah. league. Rex they were they're they're excellent. They're a good team. Um, so looking at some of uh, the most interesting games of the uh, month. Um, first we have um, March thirteenth, a Clippers one fifty two, Raptors one twenty game. And and why would a <laughs> why would a thirty two point blowout involving two of the worst teams in the league be interesting? Well, the Clippers a set a uh, a franchise record and uh, was among was was close to an NBA record in. Um, in uh, the highest field goal percentage in uh, NBA history. In fact, um, I believe it was the second highest recorded next to uh, the uh, San Antonio Spurs had 70.7 in um, 1983. The the uh, Clippers had 69.3%. They made uh, 61 field goals, the most in its Los Angeles history. Um, and um, 
Bill Fitch, you know, he was uh, happy just because the players had worked so hard despite a poor record. Been a rough year for Bill Fitch. He'd broken a lot of, uh, like, coaching win records or milestones. I think he'd passed Red Arbach earlier in the year. But, yeah, the, it was not a good team for him. This was his final stop in his coaching career. And he just I said, our guys deserve this. And I'm sure he thought that he deserved it as well. because uh, uh, So it was the highest point total, one fifty-two of the uh, season. The uh, the Suns had 134 in a regulation game. And uh, the Trailblazers had 140 in that quadruple overtime game that we talked about about um so yeah just uh broke a lot of records uh leading contributors for the clippers lamon murray at 25 points Rodney rogers had 24 oh, this is a, this is a who's who this is a winning who's who yeah. right here i'm liking where we're going this year derrick martin 21 oh, yeah. points eight assists maurice taylor oh yeah that rebounds legendaries uh for the uh, raptors <laughs> uh we had uh we had, we had john wallace with uh, 14 points and uh and six rebounds and um yeah so reggie definitely. slater big reggie oh, slater yeah. with 20 points you know oh yeah we can't forget reggie yeah absolutely <laughs> right. you know uh, of course they, they didn't have marcus camby in there he, oh. he was out with a, a strained left abductor i'm sure if he had been there things would have totally changed so. <laughs> absolutely but uh yeah a lot of records set so in, in terms of the stuff going on here um New franchise record, of course, we mentioned 69.3 point uh, field goal percentage, breaking the old mark is 66.7. Uh, 61 field goals made. Um, they were uh, one shy of the uh, franchise record. So, of course, the Buffalo and San Diego and all that sort of stuff. Uh, highest point total in the NBA that season, uh, surpassing both the 134 points scored by the Phoenix Suns and the 140 scored by the Portland Trailblazers in quadruple overtime. Uh a little bit of the old Clipper record. Uh, One forty-six was the record in nineteen ninety-one against the Denver Nuggets, and that's of course the the, the run and gun Denver Nuggets. The Clippers beat that. Uh, previous high that season was one nineteen, so they went from <laughs> one nineteen was the previous high to one fifty-two. So it was certainly a pretty uh, pretty good one. And then the legendary Pooh Richardson broke the mark with a three-point basket uh, with a two uh, fourteen to play. Uh, I kind of found this funny too. The Clippers hit only six threes during this game, and now while it wasn't rare in the beginning years of the three-point line, where you know the, the early the, in the, 80s and 81 and 82 or whatever people just are not shooting threes they don't want to they don't care there's this line they don't know why the line's here they're stepping up they're not doing it so it, it happens a lot the first three or four years but when you looked at 1984 until you know when we're looking at this game it's very rare that a team scores as many as they did without shooting a ton of threes uh, only 11 teams including the clippers on this night scored 150 plus with nine or fewer threes as a team sorry i said uh, so they only hit six threes they hit nine threes uh so only uh, only 11 teams had done that the uh, the clippers uh, are tied for the fewest with nine uh, that I mentioned uh, with Sacramento. They scored uh, Sacramento scored 154 uh, in January of 1993 uh, with only nine threes, and then Phoenix scored 154 um, in March of 1989 uh, with uh, with only nine threes. And it would actually um, in a kind of crystal ball moment here. It would be until 2006 for another team to get 150 points with nine or less threes. So it would take quite a while for that to happen again. Um, but yeah, pretty unique thing here that you would assume that it would be kind of a flurry of threes or whatnot. It, it wasn't. They just scored a lot. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, yeah. So obviously, you know, a legendary, um, uh, legendary performances by some, uh, yeah, forgot, forgettable players in this, uh, in this game. And, uh, yeah. Um, and, and of course, Lorenzen Wright had uh, come back to the game uh, after sitting out five games because of a sprained ankle. And he had uh, 21 points in 16, or tw- played 21 minutes with 16.7 rebounds. So, uh, so, so great times. And and I was mistaken before. It's actually the third highest field goal percentage in NBA history since 83-84. So not second. So the third uh, highest. Uh, so pretty exceptional. Yeah, absolutely. So a uh, pretty rare game here. And yeah, I guess it's a good good moment for these teams because, yeah, there's not much else to really hang their hats on this year. So go them, I guess. Yeah, go Clippers. So exciting stuff. Um yeah, so next is a, a game not really 
noteworthy for the uh, performance itself. It was a Bulls uh, 89, Hawks 74 uh, score. It was uh, on March 27th. And uh, the reason it's notable is because it was in the Georgia Dome in Atlanta. And it drew a league record crowd of 62,046, which uh, topped uh, a game at the uh, Silver Dome between the Celtics and the Pistons of uh, 61,983. So just a a, a couple hundred more or so. And, And yes, that was, in fact... Nearly 20% of Atlanta's uh, attendance was generated by uh, two games of the <laughs> of the Bulls coming to uh, town. So they uh, they drew 53,000 the last time Jordan Company were in town. So uh, so that's that's pretty amusing there for sure. Yeah, it's pretty cool uh, to see this. And this is always one of my favorite things is like when a team has to play in a weird stadium or whatnot, or, or particularly this one too, playing in in the Georgia Dome and, and setting these sort of crazy attendance records. But uh, yeah, the Bulls are a phenomenon this year, and, and the Hawks are making the most of it there because they're averaging uh, about seventeen thousand, a little over seventeen thousand per game. But then uh, when the uh, you know when Michael comes to town, it, it, it ramps up a little bit. Uh, so they set an NBA single game attendance record as you mentioned, uh, six two uh, thousand forty six. Uh, and they raised 4000 uh, through ticket sales for the North Georgia Tornado Relief Fund. So I don't know. Was there a, a recent tornado that happened? I imagine there was. That's, there must have been one, yes. I, I uh, don't recall. Unless they're always okay, raising but... money for the uh, North Georgia Tornado Relief Fund. But I'm well, imagining, yeah, you know, probably not sure. a bad idea to do that. But, uh, yeah, yeah not, interesting yeah. game. Tony Kukochi has 12 points. Uh, Michael Jordan has 34 points. Uh, Scott Burrell with a rare explosion here of 18 points. Yeah. Uh, yes. Kevin Mutombo has 12 points, 10 rebounds, 3 seals, of course, for Atlanta. Uh, Christian Leitner, 13 points and 9 rebounds. And... Uh, Scotty Pippen did not play in this game. He had the flu um, or flu-like symptoms. I don't know, whatever. But uh, the final college football game, uh, so kind of looking at all-time Georgia Dome attendance records or whatnot, uh, the final college football game uh, played at the Dome between Alabama and Washington set the attendance record at 75,996 for the – and that set the record for both the uh, the, the game, I believe, is a – Sugar Bowl or one of some of the Bowl Peach Bowl. I forget what the hell Bowl it is. It is Peach Bowl. And then – Yeah. Of course, normally 71,617 for uh, WrestleMania um, uh, there in Atlanta a few years later. And then, of course, the... Uh, 27. Yeah, and then famous... Uh, that's a terrible WrestleMania, by the way, to never, ever watch that WrestleMania. Dude, it's not a good it's one, It's so yeah. bad. It has aged yeah. terribly. There's one, there's one match I like in it. Um, is that the one with The Undertaker Triple H? Uh, yes, yes. Which a lot of people don't like, but that, that one actually... I like, too, so. and that is it. That is the only well, there you go. good part of nice. that WrestleMania, unfortunately. But, uh, yeah, then, of course, you have Goldberg and Hulk Hogan and all those other ones. But, uh, yeah, it's unfortunately, a football game uh, has the all-time attendance record. And yes. Poor Georgia Dome. And, it's gone now. Yeah. yeah. For no real reason. <laughs> well, seems... they, they're building a bigger one, I guess. Yeah, no, it's so. built. It's, it, it's, it's a monstrosity. Oh, yeah. yeah, the thing is gigantic. And it's like, oh, jeez, ah. okay, the Georgia Dome yeah. really hasn't been around that while. But, all right, that's fine. Hey, ah. but, yeah. The bubble's going to pay for it. Go for it, right? Sure, <laughs> exactly. So, um, uh, so now we have, an, uh, again, I, 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 I pick games because of their interest in this show, not because they would be that interesting to watch. Uh, next, we have... I kind of want to watch this one, though. I'll, I'll be honest. This, this game, I, like, uh, if we could find a clip of this game, it would be a great uh, Christmas episode where we just you know, get really upset at 90s basketball. But Oh, yeah, yeah. So, March 28th, 1998, uh, Reggie Miller was fined suspended for a flagrant elbow on Vlade Divac in a, a game with the Hornets and the uh, Pacers. So uh, the next game, uh, March 29th, the Pacers scored a record low 55 points. Uh, this is a, of course, shot clock era low uh, in a 74-55 loss to uh, San Antonio. The, the the Pacers had scored 133 points on uh, in, in the previous game and went down to a 55. And they had, of course, we discussed it, I believe, last month or the month before. They held the um, 
Blazers to something like 56 points in a uh, game or or less than 60 in a game just uh, you know a month or so uh, beforehand. So they are the tables have turned, as they say. <laughs> Absolutely, and I'm just thinking like any interaction between Reggie Miller and Vladi Diva had to be like the most annoying <laughs> like thing ever. Can you imagine anything more <laughs> annoying than Reggie Miller and Vladi Diva matching up against one another or just being in the same room as one another? But uh, yeah, that had to be. But uh, yeah, did not uh, not go well for the Pacers here. A little bit of. Um, the Spurs, Tim Duncan had 24 points, 8 rebounds, and 3 blocks. Uh, David Robinson had 13 points. Uh, and obviously the Spurs didn't have an explosion of scoring. They only had 74, but things look good on on that end when the only the other one has 55. Uh, Robinson had 13 points, 3 of 13 field goals. Uh, Will Perdue had 10 points. Uh, Chris Mullen uh, for the Pacers, he had 12. Mark Jackson had 11. Uh, San Antonio shot 40% uh, field goal and then 19 of 25 from free throw. Uh, Indiana did not do that well. They shot uh, 27.3 uh, field goal percent, 21 of 77, and then 11 of 13 on field goals. So, hey, at least their field goals went in. So that's pretty good. Uh, guys that missed this game, Avery Johnson was out for San Antonio. Chuck Person was out for San Antonio. Reggie Miller, of course, suspended for Indiana. And Rick Smith had sore feet. Not foot, feet. <laughs> for Rick Smith, feet. his feet were hurting. Feet. They were both both bad. Feet, yes. But, um, yes. really interesting, too, if you look into this game, uh, the Spurs uh, did a pretty interesting thing here. They started Tim Duncan, David Robinson, and Will Purdue. All three of seven footers in the game, yes. or whatever they did. I think they always said Dumb Dog was a seven footer, even though I think it was like seven. Whatever. Doesn't matter. Created mismatches for Indiana, and Indiana could not handle it, uh, including, I believe, at a point during the game, Duncan was guarding Mark Jackson. Mark Jackson is 6'3. Yes. Tim Duncan is allegedly seven foot, or very close to seven foot. That probably was oh, not going to, yeah. I mean, in any other era, that probably wouldn't have worked, but Mark Jackson like played like he was, you know. Even though he was six foot three, he had the game of like a guy that was seven two. So I guess that's actually a pretty good matchup for yeah. uh, for uh, the Spurs. Yeah, and um, you know uh, Ben Taylor in his uh, series, you know, looking at the greatest of all time, he talked about Duncan early on in his career, kind of doing that small forward thing and you know playing the perimeter and how he was able to you know cover the ground fairly well. Mm-hmm. And you know obviously it was a great you know interior defender for his career, but you know he was able to do that fairly ably you know on during his career because he kind of had the foot foot speed and the fundamentals and all that all that good stuff to uh, do that although yeah obviously seeing him try to defend uh, mark jackson you know again mark jackson slow enough to uh make it happen you know with, with, with like gary payton or you know tim hardaway something that would have been obviously more difficult but uh but regardless yeah that's uh some funny stuff yeah that was a um as we mentioned the, the record of fewest points in a game since the inception of the shot clock uh Previously, it was 57 points. In fact, uh, you would have to go back to 1954 to uh, find a team that scored 55 or less in the game. And it was the uh, Rochester Royals. And the leading scorer in that game was Cal Christensen with 12 points. So uh, so go Cal. <laughs> yeah, and uh, Larry Bird after the game says, I was wondering where we were going to get our scoring from today. That's all his yes. quotes said. So maybe, was... <laughs> maybe Larry should have gone out there, you know, to. Uh, not, you know. not an answer, not a declaration. Just like I too was wondering where we were going to get our scoring. I was wondering, yes. Yeah, Didn't sure. good. Uh, and San Antonio with the win became the third Western Conference opponent to sweep the Pacers this season, joining the Lakers uh, and the Seattle Supersonics. So, yeah, not not a great night for, uh, for the Pacers, but hey. Yes. Yeah. Uh, next, we have the. Uh, we, we have the. Final game of the season, or I guess final game of playoff importance of the season. It was the uh, the New Jersey Nets uh, clinching a playoff berth with a victory over the Detroit Pistons, a one fourteen to one hundred one. And uh, the the Pistons finished a disappointing uh, season in which uh, Doug Collins had gotten fired, and they had uh, after you know winning fifty plus games the year before, they uh, they finished with a losing record. And um, but the Nets were definitely a surprise that year. They they was the first time in their NBA history, not counting their ABA years, of course, in which they managed to have a winning record throughout the entire season. Um, 
and the last time they'd won 50 games when they were the New York Nets and played in the ABA and in, in their their final season there when they won the championship. And uh, in this game, uh, Kendall Gill uh, led uh, led things off with uh, 27 points, five rebounds, five steals. Keith Van Horn had 25 points. Uh, Chris Gatling had a pretty strong game, 18 points and uh, 10 rebounds. Kerry Kittles also 22 points, 11 rebounds. Uh, Grant Hill he had um, he he had the triple double numbers of 21 points, 12 rebounds, almost there with seven assists, but he got 10 turnovers, so he managed to get a triple double, which you know <laughs> I'm sure. He was happy with um, Jerry Stackhouse at 20 points and seven assists. Sam Cassell, who's maybe the uh, Nets best player that year, uh, actually did not play in the game. Um, and uh, yeah, the Nets did a nice job of, you know, staying in the playoff race. We're going to get into that a little bit more, but they were without, uh, you know, their best rebounder, Jason Williams, who suffered a broken uh, right thumb near the end of the season, but, um, you know, was able to, he, he did pledge eventually to come back and, uh, and play in the playoffs despite that injury. And John Calpari said he was going to list him on the playoff roster regardless of his physical condition. They were also trying to work in a Ronnie Cycli, who they, of course, had traded for and then, you know, had dealt with a foot injury and hadn't really played yet. So they were, you know, looking like an interesting team that might be able to make a little bit of a of playoff noise despite, you know, going in as the eighth seed. But they had, they had a nice team. You know, they had, you know, Van Horn, Kittles, Douglas, uh, Kendall Gill, you know, Sam Cassell, um, you know, they, they had a fairly, uh, you know, re- reasonably deep roster that looked like it, you know, might be, you know, interesting come playoff time. Yeah, absolutely. And they were one of the, the NBA's best offenses, too. They were fifth in uh, offensive rating at this point. And uh, looks like this Coach Cal, this uh, Coach Executive Cal thing's got, he's got it all figured out. Yeah. So, I mean, this yeah, guy's, yeah, this it's guy's work out great. I mean, he's there. Yeah. The things are going great. He's the executive. He's making the moves. He's coaching the team. No problems, things yeah. are working great. So, I think this Coach, yeah. I think this coach Cal thing is going to work out just fine so i think it'll be great yeah (laughs) yeah not outward at all absolutely so uh yeah some of the key storylines of the uh, month uh the big one that's going to really be uh it's going to be taking up the uh, next few months in the uh, nba is going to be the uh the board of governors voted to reopen the cba and uh setting the stage for a potential uh lockout and it was uh apparently it, it was a, a vote of um, of the vast majority of teams, only one or two teams. Um, there, there are varying reports on what teams actually uh, voted against it, but almost every owner voted for uh, reopening it. And basically, you know, there's a lot of quotes about, uh, you know, from like Russ Granick, the deputy commissioner's like, ah, you know, yeah, you know, lockout isn't part of a vocabulary right now. You know, we're, we hope to maintain it. And there was a lot of optimistic reports about, oh, these, this Billy Hunter guy seems really smart. Like, you know, it's, it's not going to happen. Everything's going to probably be okay. And, you know, a lot of disputing over the actual numbers and, you know, whether, you know, um, depending on what you're counting toward, you know, basketball related income, you know, what, what teams are making money or what teams are losing money. This is of course the same rigmarole that goes on, you know, pretty much every labor agreement. And, you know, the, the big thing is that, you know, the, the salaries for, you know, and Kevin Garnett is the kind of the poster child of that, you know, getting 21 million per year, which is just a, you know, a a tremendous amount of money given the, you know, the, a relatively low uh, salary cap at that point. And, you know, putting so much money into, um, you know, one player, especially at at that point, Garnett, you was, Pretty established, but still, you know, his his feature, like, he wasn't absolutely like a definite superstar. He was more like, you know, a good bet to be a potential superstar, but, you know, pratfalls could happen. And obviously there were, you know, the, the contracts at that point were six or seven years. So there was a, there were definitely, I think, reasonable 
economic issues on the owner's part, even though I'm always going to be, you know, the a, a pro labor guy and, you know, and, and going to be a guy who's going to sympathize more with the players than I am with the uh, with, with management for sure. Yeah. And that's unfortunate on this podcast. Yeah, you're going to tend to be a little bit more of that. And then, yeah, there's not much. I mean, you look at and, and like you said, it's kind of the same arguments that we always get the percentage of, of, of the income and, and how much is going to the owners, how much is going to the players. And, uh, you know, they'll, they'll kind of and that's really kind of the, the crux of the whole issue. I mean, they'll, they'll maybe put some other things in here, like you know, some some of the you know the young players are, are making too many much, or the veterans aren't making enough. It's always kind of the same. But at the end of the day, it's just splitting the pot and, and, and figuring out. So nothing has really changed in terms of like every labor you know dispute that we have, not only in basketball but in every sport. But uh, yeah, you're starting to see you know at the beginning of the year it was kind of rumblings and there was some things. People you know have some confidence that David Stern is is a good enough commissioner where it won't happen, but you're starting to get a little bit more smoke to the fire now. I mean, it was a, a sort of a rumor thing. It was a disgust thing. It's a, it's on the horizon type thing, but as we're getting a little bit closer, as we're drawing near, it seems more and more likely that, that, that stuff's going to go down and it might not be great. Yeah. A um, couple other notes. Um, you did some nice digging into some the salary structure at the time, but um, you know, Glenn Taylor, the Timberwolves owner, both then and now, uh, talked about like you know, and this actually seems kind of reasonable. It's like you know, well, you know, we signed this huge deal for Kevin Garnett. You know, we would like to keep Tom Gugliotta and Stefan Marbury, but we're probably not going to be able to send sign all three to that level of contract because it just you know it, it, that would be you know sixty million a year. Or so and the salary cap's like thirty five million a year or whatever. So um, you know, and of course Marbury and Gugliotta want to use that deal for as a basis for their negotiations. So that's obviously going to Come to a head over the next season, at, you know, after the lockout. And um, you said and Glenn Walsh- Taylor, but I think you meant Sam Presti. And I, you said Minnesota Timberwolves, but I think you meant Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, oh, when you said yes, that quote, right? <laughs> yes, yes, of course, yes. Um, so, uh, and then Pacers president Donnie Walsh says, you know, not only are we overpaying what we bargained for, but we're also distributing it in a way that isn't good for the players. The top players are getting a bigger percentage, and there are a lot of players at the bottom that are taking the minimum. Which, so that that's an interesting idea. Um, of you know there are some people who and i don't really agree with them but some people who think that you know um the top players really should you know have a huge you know percentage of the pie because they create the value in the team and they you know the and, and in terms of the marketing of the league and all that you know they, they deserve that higher value and there should be you know guys who make basically you know huge salaries and then everyone else is kind of making toward the minimum that would be a more fair salary structure if you're looking toward you know who provides the actual value but i i think that sort of doesn't really look at the human dynamics enough and it probably isn't the best idea but i, I think he but wash is kind of suggesting the opposite that you know guys should players should make you know closer money to each other rather than being such a huge disparity but you know it was that really true at the time and you know has that really changed you know up until now i think is the interesting question yeah and it's uh we, we got some help from uh, jeff siegel on this uh who, who writes for the step back and does some great stuff as well he uh he helped us out with a little bit of this so uh credit to him because we looked at uh 15 16 uh 2015 2016 season uh compared to this season and, and it's kind of a little rough here so i i you know what's a there's some i think it's some random site that's got some salaries and whatnot i don't know exactly how official all those salaries were and some were were like you know not 100 accurate but but it gives us kind of a rough idea to sort of look at but uh so walsh claims in in you know 97 98 that the top players are getting a bigger percentage uh what's interesting is the the top salaries that year about 2.02 percent of all players are, are are doing that and i'll break down the numbers here in a little bit uh where you look at the top salaries in today's nba 
uh, which I put to 20 million plus, and it, that wouldn't make sense in, in 97, 98 because there was only one guy making that, and that was Michael Jordan. But I did 10 million plus in uh, 97, 98. But uh, in today's NBA, 20 million plus, uh, taken up by 2.10 percent. So it's about the same there. It's about two percent of players that make the most, uh, both in 97 and now today. Uh, 1997, 98 had a pretty strong middle class with uh, 57.1, uh, 57.2 rather, uh, making between one and nine million. Today's NBA has a uh, 60.1, making uh, that between one. And nine million. Uh, there's also a new upper middle class, kind of in today's NBA, which I think speaks a little bit more to what you're saying. Is probably a little bit better that there is that upper middle class and, and guys that sort of maybe don't make the mega salaries, but make pretty uh, pretty good monies. And that takes up nearly 13 percent of players. And those are guys making between 10 and 19 million in today's NBA. Uh, and as far as the minimum, and I think that's one thing that Walsh mentions too. We have a, a lot of players at the bottom that are taking the minimum. Um, 97.98 saw a 40.8 percent of players making less than a million. Uh, today, uh, there's only 20, uh, 24.8 that make uh, the minimum. Um, so kind of interesting there. So kind of break these down a little bit just to kind of give you an idea. 97, 98, nine players make 10 plus million. Uh, again, that's about 2% of all players. Uh, 255 players make between one and nine. Uh, that's about 57. And then 182 are under uh, 1 million, and that's about 40.8%. That's 97, 98. Now, if we compare that to uh, 2015, 16, the data set that we had, uh, 11 players making 20 plus a million. That's, again, about 2%, so about 2% same making the top salaries in the league. Uh, 68 players making between 10 and 19 uh, million. That's about 12.9% there. Uh, 315 players making between 1 and 9 million. That's about 60.1. And then the minimum, 130 players making under 1 million. Uh, that's a 24.8% there. So, um... What's interesting there is so the top class is really about the same as it was then, you know, in terms of the guys making the the big, big time salary. You know, I got 11 players compared to nine, and and that makes sense with the league kind of growing a little bit there. So the, you know, the mega contracts, the guys making a ton is about the same. Um, The middle class, that's a little bit different there. and the, the real thing is the minimum, though. I mean, you have 100, uh, you know, 40.8%, uh, 97, 98, making just the minimum. And in 15, 16, you know, very few, very a lot less are making the minimum, only 24.8%. And that's, you know, including guys that are on D-League contracts, guys that are coming up, guys on two-way contracts and whatnot. So I consider this a, a kind of a small victory uh, that there is that sort of emerging upper middle class and a little bit heavier of a middle class there. So I don't know, Walsh is... is I don't know that the, there's top players making a ton as much as he's saying, but the idea that so many are making the minimum are, 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 is actually not that wrong for what he's saying. That that's actually true. Yeah, that that that's definitely an interesting idea. And um, you know, we um, you know, we're not going to do. We'll obviously do some stuff on the lockout as it happens. We're not going to do the obviously month to month shows on the lockout, but you know, we'll, we might, might dig into a little bit more on that and you know, kind of talk about some of the arguments, talk about some of the realities on uh, that. Yeah, uh, thanks to uh, Jeff, and he has a new uh, website. Uh, earlybirdrights.com, which has a bunch of uh, salary cap and scouting reports and, and playbooks and all that good stuff. So you should uh, uh, definitely uh, check that out as well. So thanks to him. Yeah, absolutely. No, great stuff there to, to help us out. But uh, yeah, it's interesting. So I don't know. Um, I'm not sure why Danny Walsh wants, you know, the minimum to, you know, more less people take the minimum, but I think he wants less people to make a ton of money. So I think that's kind of always yeah. what it is. You know, hey, well, you know, these guys making the minimum, they should make a few million more, but these top guys, man, they should make a lot less. So it's 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 kind of that thing. It's sort of the race to the middle uh, in a sense where you don't want to seem so crass and think that everybody should make less, but you want to say, hey, these these lower tier guys, they should make a little bit more, but these stars, they're making way too much money. And that was kind of what we'd find out sort of the tenor around this entire lockout as it was, it was sort of build up and, and Kevin Grenat would be used as one of the big pariahs is there with him making so much money and oh my god he's barely in the league and he's making all this and and the veterans aren't making enough so it's always kind of like you said it's every labor stoppage and negotiation is about the same thing yeah and there are you know there, there there have been tensions at times with um you know with 
older players being jealous of younger players as the money increases and you know they're stuck in the contracts and all that stuff and um and i can understand from a a team building perspective it's really tough to build a team when one player takes you know 60 to 70 percent of your cap room it's you know it's it's hard to get good players around them or you know find the guys that you want and and egos can certainly get in the way with uh, when there's that level of money disparity so i you know while i again am pro player i i I get what the challenges realistically of you know putting a team together under those circumstances so um, anyway, one last thing on this before we get into uh, other stuff is um, uh, Jackie Kmullen, Sports Illustrated, reports that uh, while NBA player rips say a majority of their peers are in favor of including mar- marijuana in a new drug policy, uh, the biggest stumbling block might not be the penalties, but the matter of random testing. So um, so there is a lot of I, I kind of forgot that marijuana became officially part of the testing policy this late on in the I, I kind of assumed it was you know there kind of when drug testing started in the mid 80s. But it, yeah, it was not uh, until the late 90s where it was a uh, where it was established spoiler, I guess, on that. But uh, but but yes, so that's uh, interesting kind of given how the climate of marijuana has uh, changed, of course, in in 20 years. Since. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, another big uh, another big story. Of course, we got some playoff races going on. Uh, the 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 West, uh, as we talked about uh, previously, but we'll kind of dig into it when we get through the records at the very end. But uh, the eight teams that were going to make the uh, playoffs were pretty evident in the last couple of months of the season. It's just a matter of which order that they would finish. And uh, the most interesting one to me is uh, the Timberwolves uh, passing Houston for the uh, seventh seed. This is the the first time the Wolves have had a winning season, the first time that they will uh, make the playoffs, and only really injury problems, you know, kind of limited them with losing Tom Gugliotta, kept them from, you know, finishing a a higher stretch. It kind of reminds me a little bit of... Uh, you know the 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 Sixers this year actually the the Sixers uh, you know kind of being you know far ahead of the curb you know a a franchise that had gone through a really rough period you know f- being you know more ahead of the curve than people realized and you know actually putting itself looked like it was had a chance with uh, you know especially Marbury and um, you know Garnett two guys who were considered you know potential franchise cornerstones look like you know the future was really bright for them and it would be to an extent but not quite the way that people expected it but yeah they um they they you know played really well you know had some had an eight and two stretch that included wins against utah miami and atlanta and um also you know played pretty well on a uh on on a seven game road trip start off you know three and one and you know uh were able to you know the, the able to pass houston who uh you know they Finished forty-one and forty-one of the season and went five and ten to end the season right after a six-game winning streak in March. So they, uh, you know, and, and of course we, we talked about their struggles earlier on with you know a game declining, Barkley declining, you know, Drexler on his way out. They just yeah, obviously you know they had some they were a solid team, but they just didn't really have obviously no longer a championship contender or even a deep playoff contender anymore. Yeah, it was kind of falling apart there in Houston, and and it was just. You know, the age was catching up, and and, and that seemed inevitable that it was going to happen at some point. But yeah, to happen is it, it happened pretty swiftly as well. And this year's a big wake up call. But uh, hey, things are going to work out next year. <laughs> Got some big free agent eyes, big trades coming. Things are going to happen. not, but we'll see. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, and then the in the Eastern Conference, it was uh, down to kind of the last two spots, and the uh, the, the Nets and the Knicks, who've already talked a little bit about, managed to outlast the uh, Wizards and the uh, Magic. Uh, the the Knicks for from March fifteenth on the Knicks finished seven and nine the Nets nine and eight so the Wizards eight and eight and the Magic nine and nine so all, all almost nearly identical records but uh, the Knicks and Nets able to uh, to pull it out really the only team we haven't really talked about there is the Wizards uh, you know they had. Uh, you know, obviously they had some pretty good talent with there with Chris Weber with uh, Rod Strickland, but Strickland, uh, 
you know, struggled through, uh, he, he dealt with some uh, flu-like symptoms and some uh, different things going on. And uh, Weber had some, there, there were, there were some, you know, legal issues going on and, uh, you know, he had the uh, mar- marijuana arrest uh, and and things like that. So it was just uh, it, it was not going well for them. Even though they, they they may have had the best talent out of these four teams, they just uh, they unfortunately couldn't put together. And there was going to be some big changes uh, coming up pretty soon after this. Yeah, I like the old uh, flu-like symptoms. That's my favorite thing. <laughs> I feel like guys don't have flu-like <laughs> symptoms anymore. I don't know why, but no. Uh... People have figured out that's IVs. Reason, I guess. <laughs> a lot yeah. more, uh, a lot right. more IVs apparently. But uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. A lot of, a lot of IV, a lot of uh, flu-like symptoms this time of the year uh, in '97, '98. But hey, sure, yes. Uh, so, and you know, another one of the big stories. Uh, this being, you know, Jordan's uh, final yeah, tour. Famous flu player right there. there. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Um, and he wore the original Air Jordans during a Bulls-Knicks game, potentially his last game at Madison Square Garden. Um, and uh, the original Air Jordans, is they were size 12.5, but now he's a 13.5. I guess your feet grow when you uh, use them so much playing uh, basketball. Um, and um, the uh, the NBC broadcast uh, marketed those Air Jordans quite uh quite significantly and uh, after the game he said well my feet are killing me but it was fun though it was fun so uh so i guess uh on the uh on the name of selling some shoes i guess absolutely and uh things uh chicago of course we know what's going on here you know the, the narrative will tell you that it was all blown up even though they were going to win so many more titles and all that sort of stuff but uh despite an owner imposed moratorium on speaking about the future of the club coach phil jackson didn't care because on monday he said that uh we were counting down to the end of the season uh pointing out the bulls only have 13 games remaining this is a real sense of relief not so much as examples uh people are going to go off into different aspects of their career in life we have something different we have done something that is remarkable it can't go on forever Sometimes the plug has to be pulled on it. I think we have become America's team in the sport as Atlanta and Dallas were in baseball and football. So um, Phil's ready to go. Phil's done with this. Counting down the days. You're still going for a title, guys. But, hey, you know, he's he said this is it. This is done. We're all going to go and do different things after this. So, um, yeah, very, uh, very odd quote from Phil Jackson, but he's got one foot out of the door, so not too worried. Yeah. So, um, and um... – Chauncey Billups, he uh, wanted to. Um, he was playing with the Raptors at this point, and he wanted to, uh, you know, get something from Michael Jordan. So he actually asked him to autograph his shoes, and um, he uh, got a shoe signed for his daughter uh, Sydney, who was three months old at the time. And uh, Sydney, currently a college soccer player at the University of Texas. So uh, nice. If you want to feel old, you know, twenty years later, I guess that would be about the right age. <laughs> yep. You know, there, there you go. So I, I, I would think that that doesn't happen too often where, you know, current players ask, you know, players into the team to do that kind of thing. But it's obviously a special occasion with, you know, Jordan, you know, seemingly like he's on his, uh, on his way out. Um, yeah, uh, Jordan, you know, he uh, was crossing those milestones and, you know, playing some great basketball toward the end. He was a player of the month uh, for, uh, at the end of April for March. Um, and with uh, 28.9 points, uh, 5.3 rebounds, 3.5 assists. Uh, he also uh, passed a 29,000 career points, which was uh, he joined uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain as the only two who had uh, crossed that just exclusively for the uh, NBA. And uh, he was also a player of the week for the third time in the season at the uh, on uh, April 5th. So, um, so yeah, and he definitely, uh, you know, he, he, he played well and, um, uh, you know, he 
went out with a bang so far. You know, we'll see what happens in the playoffs, of course. But uh, but but so far, you know, things are pretty good. You know, whether they can keep it up for another playoff run, I don't know. It's hard <laughs> we'll, to say. We'll see. Yeah, and uh, put yeah. himself in the MVP conversation as well, which is pretty cool. But he also mentioned this too that uh, there's a quote that he wanted to play union activists this summer. And this is from the Chicago Sun Times. Uh, he says owners and players are scheduled to begin negotiating on the new CBA next Wednesday. Uh, and Jordan said, "I'm always going to be pro union player. I will speak out when I feel the players are being taken advantage of. I will be involved. I will contribute." A completely unrelated fun fact: Michael Jordan made 33 million dollars this season 13 million more than the next closest player who was patrick ewing so totally unrelated fun fact but i uh, just thought i'd throw it out there yeah hey you know <laughs> it's all about uh yeah making good money you know that's uh that's what it's all about um so our final uh final big story of the month is uh it's getting that kind of that time of the season where you know players not necessarily gonna always be happy in the situations you know there's gonna be uh some grumpy feelings, especially on losing teams. There's a lot of losing teams, as uh, you know, we'll, we'll dig into it at the end here. But uh, and one team that had a lot of uh, problems uh, was uh, the Sacramento Kings, uh, who had a lot of players who were acting a little bit grumpy. Um, Olden Polonies, for once, uh, his his minutes were dwindling as the season uh, was going along, and he you know realized, hey, the Kings aren't going to pick up his option, so he just stopped caring and would say whatever he wanted to say. And he said, hey, <laughs> I've gotten screwed, and I don't care what anyone else has said. I just hope that whoever's on the team next season gets a little more communication than we did. So he wasn't happy. Olden Polonies. Uh, he is mad yeah. as hell. He is not going to take it anymore. <laughs> he is not. And then he was later uh, fined and suspended for two games for arguing with uh, a head coach, Eddie Jordan, during a game against the Lakers. So, um, meanwhile, the uh, the the Kings, uh, I believe they lost uh, 12 straight games and, and had a, a, a streak of where they were 2-18. and 18. And uh, after a loss to the uh, Lakers, I guess that, that might have been the uh, same game, the um, uh, Terry DeHair and uh, Lawrence Funderbrook had to be separated by uh, Eddie Jordan following a, a altercation involving shot selection as they uh, headed to the visitor's rocker room following the game. So uh, so not good times. And then Eddie Jordan later on, right at the end of the season, you know, he was a rookie coach and he questioned his relationship with his players and his ability to get the maximum out of them. I'm disappointed with the overall coach-player's relationship. I thought we'd be a little more at ease with each other. It wasn't as relaxed as I thought it would be. Was I too firm and not flexible enough? Or was I too flexible and not firm enough? That's what I have to find out. So he's at a loss. Philosophical. Uh, I, Eddie Jordan there. <laughs> like, yeah. yeah. I, I feel a little sad for Eddie Jordan yeah. right there. You know, I mean, he, things would get a little better in his coaching career. But, um, but yeah, that was uh, a, little, a little sad there, you know. Uh, to be fair, Eddie, it's it's Sacramento. And, that you know, yeah. <laughs> it's not like yeah. you're, you know, exactly. really throwing them off. Their, their championship level here. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, it's, yeah, the it's kind of like his chat. It's kind of like his China time. That's all you have to say. Yeah. Right. So, uh, yeah. Speaking of, uh, upset feelings, uh, back to, uh, Penny Hardaway. There's some, uh, rough stuff going on here. You, we talked about all the injuries, but he's definitely, uh, has some quotes that make him feel like he's definitely not happy camper there. Yes. As I know, there's a lot of people who feel like the organization and some of the fans have just written me off. Uh, I'm not looking uh, for them to come up to me and say, Hey, Hey, Penny, you're the man. I'm looking for the kind of support where they come up to me and say, Hey, everything is going to be okay. Hang in there. We can't wait till you come back. That type of attitude. You just want assurance from fans, media, and the organization. Poor Penny. Man, yeah, depressed yeah. Penny just wants someone to pat him on the back, you know. Yeah, not you're the best. I just want to yeah. know that everything's yeah. gonna be okay. Hang in there. Yeah, he, he wants that cat hanging, dangling from the string, saying, "Hang in there, pal." But sure, so that's, yeah. uh, it's not working. Want that cat. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's uh, not, not working. He feels like he is that cat. He doesn't <laughs> right. have anyone, you know, holding him up. You know, that's uh, poor Penny. Jeez, hey, emo, Penny, emo yeah. Penny over here. Just, yeah, it's a hug. It's a, a bummer. I, I I would give him a hug. You know. I would. Oh, I'd absolutely give right a hug. For yeah, sure. I'm. I'm a hugger, so you know, I'll. I'll give pretty much anybody a hug. You know, <laughs> so just. Just for the record, um, 
Just, just want to. Yeah, if, if you see Jason, you can give a hug, and he will definitely give. All right, him, so. fair enough. I, it sounds good. Yeah. Uh, if I ever see him now, I'll just say, you know, I was, I'm really sad about what you said 20 years ago. Would you like a hug? <laughs> right, exactly. Would go over really well. right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, also, yes, uh, April 8th, uh, Scotty Pippen, you know, he's, he, this has been going on for quite a long time where he is basically openly like being like, yeah, I'd play for the teams. So, uh, and he was asked straight out if he would, uh, wouldn't mind joining the, uh, Rockets uh, playing with Hakeem Olajuwon and Charles Barkley the uh, next season. He apparently wasn't paying close attention to how they were playing with those two. But um, he said, uh, you know, that they rate very high. They're a contender. They have a great center. And Clyde is leaving. So that really opens up a big window for opportunity for me to step in with a top contender. Top contender. In your life. Houston. Yeah, top contender. So, yeah. Scotty. <laughs> Yeah, maybe maybe needs to read the scouting report. Yeah, and collusion be damned. Scotty is out there. He is a single man, even though he's still actively playing for another team. But, you know, hey. Yeah, yeah. Can you believe that Oliver Miller is still in the league? (laughs) Like today, or do you mean like in in 20 years ago? I mean like 20 years ago, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. The big O is still uh, still hanging out here. He uh, became the first <laughs> the Raptor very big o. Yes. Uh, in team history. To the s- extra big O. Yeah. <laughs> so Toronto. Uh, so Toronto's uh, Alvin Murray became the first Raptor in team history to be suspended for a game uh, for his behavior during last week's blowout loss uh, to the Hawks in Atlanta. Uh, Miller was fined the equivalent of one game, about twenty thousand dollars, for allegedly signing autographs for a fan while seated on the bench, uh, for being verbally abusive to his teammates, and for playing around with the Hawks mascot while the game was going on. He says, "I've been in the NBA for six years, and this is the first time I've ever." been suspended for playing around with a mascot so miller says i don't know how you haven't find me before because i've been playing around with mascots forever apparently but he says it's the first time he's ever been suspended for playing around with a mascot so miller is a free agent at the end of the season and um really was going to need that twenty thousand dollars because his his restaurant bills uh were certainly adding up these days but uh yeah however miller uh he was autographing for fans he was verbally abusing his teammates and playing around with mascots so not going great for oliver miller uh in toronto no, definitely not going well for him in a Trump. But I'm sure there's going to be a huge market for his services. You know, I'm sure that he's definitely <laughs> right, going right. to, uh, you know, a guy with his discipline and fortitude is definitely going to, you know, it, he's going to find a good role next year. You know, it's going to it's going to happen. Things are going to go well for him. You know, it, it, it's yeah, obviously, yes. So, um, yeah. So uh, some other items of interest. Um, a little bit on the Latrell's Pro reaction, of course, you know, the big story last month was that he had been um, – uh, that his suspension had been reduced. He was going to be able to play next season and that his contract had been reinstated. So, uh, and he says, hey, you know, I'd be, I'd be fine with coming back and playing with the Warriors if Peter Klissimo is not the coach. Uh, he said, I'd love to be back here. He, he, I'd love to be back here if he wasn't here. I never had a problem with anyone else, not even the assistant coaches. My problem is with PJ. I guess that would be the ideal situation, but I don't know how realistic that is. Me, I'd stay here. It would be a great team and we'd, ha- we'd hire a new coach, which... Uh, yeah, I, I'm glad he doesn't realize – I'm glad he knows that isn't super realistic because all of those things that he said in that sentence are definitely not going to happen, especially the part about them being a great team. Yes, yeah, that, that, the most glaring thing is it's a great team thing. But, yeah, the uh, so I guess it seems like the Spreewell thing is kind of done or so. I don't I don't know what the, the Spreewell saga is going on. But, yeah, he says just get – you know, if, if Fire PJ, do this, do this, do this, and I'll come back. It's great. So it'll yeah, all work out pretty well. Just do these, like, seven yeah. things, and then it'll all be fine. But, uh, yeah, it's, yeah. It's, uh, yes. and we've talked about before in our previous episodes about, you know, a lot of people harbor some blame for this uh, – the whole Spreewell situation. But, yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an untenable situation. Everybody needs to kind of go their own ways, I think. 
yeah oh yeah that, yeah for for sure yeah, so uh, yeah, and then uh, Pat Riley said, hey, you know, even though even with what happened for him, that would not keep him from trading for Latrell Sprewell. And even uh, Tim Hardaway, who had feuded previously with uh, Sprewell in um, Golden State, would say, hey, you know, he's a talented kid. I'd be fine with him bringing back it. Yeah, I'm all about winning. It's all good, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it looks like there's some, you know, some openness to other teams having him come back. So it seems like the, the, uh, uh, the the waters have uh, I, I'm losing the metaphor of whatever it, it is that <laughs> to describe that but yeah people are okay with him going right so absolutely. the thawing yes the the uh, things are thawing so um yeah uh so some milestones going on um Charles Barkley and Kevin Willis both played in the thousandth game of their NBA careers in the same game on March 10th 1998 which is kind of cool yeah that's really awesome that that could uh that would happen there but um yeah, so Kevin Willis and, and Charles Barkley. It seems weird. It seems like Kevin Willis would have like a, an eight year like uh, head start on, on Charles Barkley, but I, I suppose I, I guess Kevin Willis. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. yeah he, I guess he did. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, there some injuries. Same, yeah, oh yeah, Willis time. had a bunch of injuries and stuff in the, in the in the while. So yeah, either way, pretty fun that both those guys can kind of combine that uh, with the, the thousandth game. Right. Yeah. Obviously, Willis played a lot longer, but yes, but they uh, but but they got the same start. So. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, yeah. So um, and uh, kind of a nice uh, kind of my nice story. Uh, Sharon Wright of the uh, of the Raptors made his return, uh, played uh, playing six minutes after having a uh, a serious a car accident over the summer that had lost his uh, life. So he was able to make a, uh, a an NBA comeback and actually play in a game. You know, he said to me, "This is bigger than getting drafted or my first game in the NBA." So um, you know, so good, nice, uh, feel good story for uh, Toronto, which kind of needed that after the rough season that they had had. Um, and uh, another milestone, Akeem Olajuwon joined Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Will Chamberlain as the only players in NBA history with at least 24,000 points, 12,000 rebounds, and a 2,500 assists. So uh, nice, uh, good territory, of course, to be in there. Yeah, definitely. Um, Doug Collins, he signs with the NBA, uh, NBC, I should say, at this point. He'd uh, been fired as a Pistons coach, uh, signed a deal with NBC Sports, and will join the network's number one broadcast team of Bob Costas. And Isaiah Thomas. So uh, one of those is pretty good at commentating, and the other is Isaiah Thomas, but that's fine. Uh, and this is uh, Dick Ebersalt. Uh, a pretty lofty quote here for old Doug Collins. He says, Doug is the best NBA analyst ever. That, uh, I mean, I like Doug Collins, but geez, I mean, that, yeah. that seems a little heavy. I mean, the, the best ever. I'm staking the claim. Best ever right now. Uh, MSC Sports Chief uh, Dick Ebersalt insisted the move did not single a problem with Thomas's performance. It will, however, relegate uh, Bill Walton to his studio role rather than the game analysis that he had been doing for the NBA Finals. Uh, and at the time, Walton will join uh, host Hannah Storm and commentators Peter Vesti and John Sally on pregame and halftime shows. So that's uh, yeah. what's going on with the NBC uh, or NBA and NBC at that point. So. Can you can you imagine choosing uh, Doug Collins over Bill Walton? You know, <laughs> right. uh, I like I like Doug Collins' commentary. I mean, he's kind of a you know. Yeah, I mean, he's fine, but yeah, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, I mean, I, I I guess Bill Walton's more of a character, and, and Collins is more. He he's kind of more into engaging into what's going on in the game. I mean, Walton is a good observations too, but yeah, it's a different vibe. But I I think in yeah in in 2018, there's no one who's going to uh, you know. Uh, make that decision no god bill walton's uh, incredible now bill walton's the greatest commentator ever right now (laughs) if you're you're ever like up at night and have nothing to do turn on like pac-12 basketball and you will uh you'll be on this experience you do not need to take acid because don't worry bill walton there took it for you because he is uh i don't know what planet he's on i don't know what game he's watching but uh we're all better for for having listened to it at any point so that's good but uh yeah i always i I always enjoyed uh because later you'd get bill walton and uh and steve snapper jones who would like like argue with each other the entire time 
time. Doug Collins is pretty good here. Isaiah doesn't. I don't remember Isaiah ever saying a word ever um, on these commentators. But uh, I always like the Costas Collins. I mean, it's 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 pretty damn smug. It's as smug as you can really get with Bob Costas and, and, and Doug Collins. But I, I always enjoyed that that combo. That was a pretty decent combo. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good time. I, I like Doug more as a commentator than he did as a coach, so I guess that's... Oh, yeah. Uh, well, yeah. No, no question about that. <laughs> yes. So, so uh, Jerry Stackhouse had a, a meeting with uh, Coach Alvin Gentry and uh, GM uh, Rick Sund for the uh, Pistons, and uh, his quote was, basically, it was me explaining things to them. Uh, <laughs> it's amazing what just a little bit of communication could do. So, uh, he said he wants to stay with the Pistons, but only as a starter. So, uh, Stackhouse having a, a strong opinion about his worth at the time. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, it's kind of amazing that Alvin Gentry, like, we, we kind of, I kind of see him as more of, like, a more recent coach, but, I mean, dude's been around forever. I mean, he started, I think, oh, with yeah. the, I think his first time job was the Spurs in, like, the late 80s or whatever. He's just been around forever and, and had a bunch of different stops, coached the Heat for a little while, coached the Pistons, obviously did the Clippers, the, the Suns later. I mean, yeah, just a crazy amount of, of, of jobs that he's had. He's, he's, like, an NBA coach lifer, and, yeah, he, he still, people still see him, and obviously he's with the, 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 the Pelicans right now, but, uh, yeah, people kind of see him as more of a kind of a recent coach I would say like I feel like people would think of him as kind of a 2000s on coach but I mean he's been around forever and yeah pretty funny uh you know gets his head job here in, in Detroit right now and has Jerry Stackhouse telling him uh what's what <laughs> and letting him know yeah. you know hey kid let me uh let's sit down let me uh let me educate you on this ball <laughs> I'll tell you yeah. what needs to be done <laughs> so uh to Rick's so son the, uh, <laughs> sit down right Al. Yeah. Yes. yeah hey hey buddy you know so the uh, the the Sixers uh, they uh, they brought back um, uh, Benoit Benjamin and uh, he actually played reasonably well uh, you know playing some decent minutes off the uh, bench uh, and of course you know he was the famously the nine, number three pick of the uh, nineteen eighty five drift uh, nineteen eighty five draft rather and uh, you know, his quote was I've been used as kind of a state scapegoat or whatever during the course of my career people have to understand I've put 12 years in this league so I have to have some ability and they won the Sixers actually went on a, a brief uh, winning streak with um, Benjamin in there although it didn't last that long the uh, the Sixers of course did not have a uh, much of a uh, season that kind of blew things up once they made the uh, the Stackhouse trade um, so um, so, but they were on to bigger and better things but yeah, nice for uh, nice for Benjamin to have a nice little uh, moment it, this I believe was the last stop of his career, so um, so so good for him. Uh, yeah, yeah, Benoit. Uh, I've always I always had a soft spot for Benoit Benjamin. I don't know why I ever did, but yeah, it was it was good. But like, yeah, it was it's one of those expectations things where you get drafted there and you're like not that good. Like you're fine, but you know you're not. Uh, you know, and then yeah, people just go you know lose their shit for for guys and then and, and overrate them. But yeah, Benoit's good, good for him to kind of put at least one more chapter in his career and and, and try to you know get back in the good graces for someone you know. <laughs> And I, I was incorrect. He actually did have nine uh, more games during his uh, NBA uh, career uh, over the next two seasons. So uh, he does have a little bit left. So we're we're not quite rid of uh, of, uh, of Benoit yet. But yeah, he was kind of one of those guys where like it seemed like when he tried, he was really good. But it seemed like he wasn't trying. But you know whether he was or wasn't, right, yeah, know. right, right. Definitely, yeah. definitely and an effort guy. Kind of yeah, he could, he could yeah. show his effort on his sleeve, and that that led to a lot of you know complaints and and, and issues as well. Is that you could he he felt like a guy who could give you so much more, but uh, never really showed it all that much yeah exactly so um so yeah uh kobe bryant uh had a we talked a little bit about how he had a, had a, a kind of a, a rough slump um you know after the all-star break and um he did uh, finally perform well uh again in a route against denver that's not saying a whole lot because denver you know was uh, not very good this year as we'll get to we've discussed a lot on the show and we'll wrap up kind of their season at the very end uh 23 points um 
And he said, uh, I slowed my moves up a little. I used my size, used my body. I think teams have gotten used to me facing the basket. So uh, sort of a, the example of him kind of um, – you know, already at this young age, being sort of a student of the game and trying to change up his uh, approach. Uh, meanwhile, in the Lakerland, uh, there was a incident, another uh, incident involving the Lakers and the Jazz. Of course, we early, very early on in the season, uh, Shaq and uh, Greg Ostertag had gotten into an altercation during a, uh, a shoot around before the game, and um, there was uh, the the Lakers uh, were upset because Greg Foster, Utah's backup center, had made a uh, a throat slashing gesture and. Uh, Del Harris objected so strenuously that he was given a technical file. I, I can't imagine Del Harris getting that angry. I always think of Del Harris <laughs> yeah. is just sort of like, you know, the gentlemanly guy. So um, I would love to see his and, uh, his face turn red and juxtapose with his very, very white hair. That would be an incredible uh, color yes. matchup there. But <laughs> there you go. Your man had yes. such white hair. How do you have that white hair? I've seen, like, many I, people I have white know. hair, but he's got, like, the whitest hair. I don't know. It was, it was, it was great. Face. There wasn't, like, one, like, dark gray lock either it was like all the same white it was it was incredible del harris and yeah he had that when he was like 32 as well which is an unfortunate because <laughs> he he always looked like i think i think now he's like 80 but like he looked 80 and you know 19 you know 94 or whatever and it's like no you know he's, he wasn't always 80 so uh so Shaq was asked if he might take care of business in the morning shoot around that the same way that with those he said no i don't do that anymore so uh so it's not gonna happen that so i know, I know that you're looking forward to uh Shaq taking care of some business off off the court, but it's not going to happen. Oh, so man. Don't, yeah, I know. So, uh, meanwhile, highlight for Shaq, he scored 50 points in a game against the uh, New Jersey Nets, which would be his uh, scoring, highest scoring total of the season. There are not that many 50-point games uh, during the season, only kind of a handful, uh, and, and we'll get to the uh, we'll get to the record mark uh, coming up pretty soon. Absolutely, yeah, we'll do it pretty soon here. Yes. So, uh, quickly move through a few other things. Uh, Bill Shonley, the radio voice of the uh, – Blazers caught his 25th 100 uh, straight game, which was uh, only second to Chick Hearn, who had reached 3,000 earlier in the season. He'd been the broadcaster with the Blazers for the, for the entire time of the uh, team's uh, existence. Uh, the Razzie Awards were in uh, March. Uh, Dennis Rodman won uh, three awards for a double team with Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal, unfortunately, lost worst actor to oh. uh, Kevin Costner, so didn't, didn't quite win that award. Uh, Dan Issel was named the uh, Denver Nuggets uh, GM, uh, and he had, of course, been former coach, former you know legendary player for the uh, team, and um, so yes, so uh, things were going good there. Um, and um, let's see, George Carl, uh, he had a bit part in uh, He Got Game, which is still upcoming. Uh, the, the movie uh, starred, of course, with Denzel Washington and. and uh, Ray Allen has a big part in it. Uh, given funny, given the Ray Allen George Carl relationship, what would happen later? And uh, George Carl even had some ideas of uh, of maybe some other TV appearances that he could make, movie appearances. He wanted to be on uh, Frasier, which of course was based in Seattle. He and George's quote was, "He could psychoanalyze. He could psychoanalyze me. It could be a true story." <laughs> but he's not okay. I'm not. Gonna let yeah, it, I, I, I don't get it. Either, actually, uh, okay. No. Yes, <laughs> a TV you show. Know. Carl, the logic there, George. Yeah, but it's okay. George, you know? it's, it's okay. Whatever, so, that's fine. Hey, yes. you got game. It's a great movie. So, not yes. not uh, not a great uh, lineup of uh, basketball. We'll talk about that here in a bit. But this is uh, not a banner year for basketball and basketball related movies. Uh, well, I mean, it, it is maybe in volume, but maybe not. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there know, are a lot of them. Not yes. many of them are good though, but there are a lot of yeah. them. Correct. Yes. So. Um, Carl Malone had his NBA season high 56 points in a game against the Golden State Warriors. Does it really count if you're playing the Warriors? <laughs> no, it doesn't. 
I'm not sure. But hey, squeak by the Warriors, one hundred one ninety nine. What the hell are you doing, Jazz? I mean, I don't know. This Jazz team is not made for the finals at this rate. I mean, Malone is not yeah. made. Not MVP material. If you know, you know, right. only. But uh, good, good game. But yeah, one hundred one ninety nine against the Warriors. What are you doing, man? Come on. Yeah, come on, come on. Uh, Dan Nissel, he talked uh, a little bit after he got the job. He uh, was he. he when he resigned as coach uh, three years ago, he had a hard time dealing with any pr- uh, public criticism. So, uh, so you know, what makes him think of him to handle it this time? Well, he said that the year that he spent as a host on Denver Sports Talk Radio will uh, make him uh, better able to handle criticism. So, uh, <laughs> so I see what uh, he means. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I guess. You know, maybe you should try podcasting. Maybe right, yeah. Know, I was gonna we'll say I have, how, I have like know. no self esteem at all anymore, so it helps me. You know, yeah. definitely be able to. Right, yeah. Or going on Twitter, maybe. Just, <laughs> yeah, if you go on Twitter for like for yeah. like two months, you'll have no self esteem, and then criticism won't no, bother you anymore because you just yeah, can't exactly. be you know dragged down anymore. So. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so, so the films that uh, the the esteemed films of uh, 1997-98. Uh, oh, uh, it did not go great. So um, around this time, yeah. My Giants, uh, the movie starring uh, then injured seven foot seven center George Mirasan and comic Billy Crystal, opened uh, nationwide. Uh, it won uh, not many good things. It was not a great movie. Uh, IMDb listed it at number twenty on the worst films of uh, 1998, uh, and that follows up a year in 1997 that had uh, quite a few basketball-related uh, worst movies. So IMDb's list of worst movies in 1997 had Double Team, the aforementioned Double Team, at number fifteen. It had Steel, the aforementioned Steel, at number seventeen, and also had a little-known uh, flick, The Sixth Man, at number thirty-nine. Do you remember The Sixth Man at all? I remember the trailer. Um... Was were any of the Wayans? Yeah, I believe both Wayans. I believe both of the prominent non Keenan Ivory Wayans were involved in this one. Uh, It was the the story here. I don't believe I've seen this, but I do need to change that. Antoine and Kenny Tyler are uh, NCAA college basketball players. Uh, Antoine is the star of the team. Suddenly, Antoine dies of a heart attack, and Kenny has to fill his shoes as leader of the team. Sometime later, Antoine returns as a ghost and helps Kenny in game and in life. But Kenny changes in the process, and he doesn't quite like it. I don't know. I kind of feel like, I mean, this is obviously fears after that, but after like, you know, like, I don't know, this like makes me feel uncomfortably about like, you know, like Hank Gathers and like, <laughs> right, somebody actually right, dying yes, on the court. Yeah. And yes, what are you saying? A, a, a star of an NCAA college team dying of a heart attack. Where, where, right. You know? <laughs> I, I don't know. That just seems a little, uh, uh, that seems a little weird to me, but yeah, but so I, that's the sixth man. So uh, maybe, maybe another Christmas, yeah. uh, maybe, maybe unfortunately we have to bring Curtis on and they can watch the sixth man with us. <laughs> let's, let's maybe pick something better. Than that. I don't know. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't Curtis. Think he's, he's like, no guys, I'm done with this. Like, it's not funny. Yeah. Right. Yeah, like well, I'm sure it was kind of funny, but this is not. This is enough, guys. Once I said what I said about Steve Miller, Ben, I don't know if that's gonna. Oh, that's know, true. Yeah, yeah he was be, very but, upset. Yeah. Maybe we'll, we'll make a bunch. Yeah, maybe we'll watch Double Team. I, I haven't seen Double Team right. in, in quite a oh, few years. Oh, there you go, Double Team. I think I, I enjoyed it as a child, but I was kind of dumb. So yeah, well, <laughs> I, mean, I was like eight or nine, so yeah. you have a lot to be dumb and be like, "Whoa, Dennis Rodman in a movie, chocolate Van Damme, explosions." Yeah, yeah, but I'm sure I would just like it greatly these days. But all right, well, fair enough. It's better if you just like it greatly, to be honest. So, a um, couple more things. Uh, Carl Malone uh, was suspended for uh, knocking out uh, David Robinson with an elbow to the head. Uh, it was the second time in his career in which he'd um, injured someone with a uh, elbow to the head. He'd done so in 1991 with uh, with uh, Isaiah Thomas. In fact, I, I believe he's only missed uh, in nine seasons. He'd only missed two games, and those were the recent both times. It was not because of injury, but because of nailing somebody in the head with an elbow. And <laughs> 
uh, the thing that he said about it is he was a little mad that he didn't get a phone call from Rod Thorne, the uh, you know, responsible for discipline. He just said uh, that he learned about it through uh, media reports. And he said he said he would take the high road, not discuss the incident. So uh, <laughs> good old Carl. Always man takes the high road. And, and both in, now in life, uh, and while he's driving an 18-wheeler, he always tries to stick the high road, too, because it's better Oh, yeah, absolutely, yes. Um, yeah. Other, I, just really quick, I looked at other basketball movies made in 1997 uh-huh. to give our thoughts on these. Air Bud. Is a is a oh, famed yeah. basketball movie of 1997. Uh, not oh, nice. a direct basketball movie, but Flubber uh, has basketball related things in it. Okay. And Flubber, and then Soul in the Hole. I forgot what Soul in the Hole is, but I remember enjoying that. I forgot. I think that's a a biopic about. I think it's like a, a Brooklyn. It, it's something with Brooklyn and, and like outdoor basketball, but I don't remember what was uh, about Soul in the Hole. But uh, remember enjoying right. it. And then 1998, uh, the basketball movies we mentioned, My Giants, also Basketball, which uh, I guess is a oh, basketball God. movie. Basketball. <laughs> okay. So uh, I enjoy basketball. Yeah. I don't know if you do, but uh, I'm all on board of watching basketball. But. Uh, uh... Yeah, I, I may have enjoyed it at the time, but I'm gonna get go ahead and guess I probably wouldn't super enjoy it now. But you never uh, know. And he, guess and, it, and, depends on how many drinks I have. Yeah, it's a, and, and he yeah. got game of course. Uh, also came out in 1998 yeah, as well. So uh, of course, yes. So we got so. there. So 1998 a little bit better than 1997. 1997 not a great year for. Uh, I don't know. Flubber. No. If we're gonna count Flubber, then maybe 1997. Well, if we're gonna count Flubber, <laughs> but then yeah. 97 gets yeah. up a little bit. You know, obviously you have, sure. And double teams not a basketball movie. It just involves basketball. And steel is not a basketball. But you know, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, our final note of the uh, season, Shaquille O'Neal named Player of the Month for April, uh, 33.8 points, uh, 10.5 rebounds, 2.7 assists. Del Harris was Coach of the Month, so that's uh, that, that closes things out there. Uh, our final standings, um, the teams that made the playoffs in the East, the Bulls, Pacers, Heat, Hornets, Hawks, Cavaliers, Knicks, and Nets. In the West, uh, leading things off by one game, the Utah Jazz, 62 wins. The Sonics and Lakers tied up 61 wins. Uh, the uh, Spurs, Suns, Blazers, Timberwolves, and Rockets are our playoff teams. I, I, one notable thing, we already discussed it before, but uh, just the gap and disparity between the 8th-seeded Rockets and the ninth seeded Kings, 14 games behind the Kings were to the uh, Rockets. And I mentioned, of course, the Rockets actually slumped at the end of the season, but uh, they were no competition for the Kings. And uh, they were there were four teams, including the Mavericks, five teams that finished with twenty or fewer wins in the uh, West. One team uh, in the East. The Raptors finished sixteen and uh, sixty-six. The Nuggets managed to avoid the worst record ever. They won uh, eleven, finished eleven and seventy-one. Although they only won seven games against the East, and the only team that I could find that was worse against the opposite conference was the eighty-seven Clippers, who only won one game against the East. That year. So. <laughs> Congratulations, Los Angeles Clippers. But yeah, early in the year, uh, earlier in the series, rather, we talked about the you know the huge discrepancy between the conferences, and it, it stabilized pretty well by the end of the year. I mean, the West still, as we said, had four teams under twenty wins, five teams with twenty or less, uh, where the East only has one. But there aren't really any egregious playoff teams that benefited from their conference. Like you know, we, we've had in, in, in future years, or you know, with with the Eastern Conference, you know, a team in the Eastern Conference is below five hundred, and then you know, a team with forty six wins is out in the West or whatever. There's not really any case of that. The top eight team from the West is pretty locked in. Of course, you mentioned the Rockets are, are, are so far ahead of the Kings that's not even close. Uh, and the Wizards are the last team out in the East, but they only have 42 wins. So they're, you know, they would have made the playoffs in the West, but it's not like an, oh my God, I can't believe, you know, the, the, the Wizards are going to stay home at 42 and 40. And I can't believe that this team in the West is going to make it because the Rockets are 41 and 41. So it like, it kind of stabilized a little bit where it did look like there was going to be a thing where the East was going to have a ton of really good teams that, that, that deserve playoff spots. None of them really deserved it, even though a lot of them were, were, were okay, or at least a little bit of average, whereas the West was like very good and then real bad right off the bat. So there aren't really any, you know, teams that are head and shoulders above. 
above any other ones, you know, in the East. So, so that's kind of cool to see that the playoffs sort of stabilized a little bit there. Where, where Washington really uh, and Orlando maybe have cases like, hey, if we were in the West, we would have made the playoffs, but really nobody else does, and those teams weren't great either. Forty-one, you know, forty-two wins and forty-one wins for for Washington and Orlando. Mm-hmm. So the um, the Warriors uh, ended up tied for the uh, fourth worst record in the uh, league, and. They actually, uh, and of course the draft lottery is still to happen, but they would lose their draft pick to Orlando if it is the first, second, or third selection overall. So this is sort of actually reverse lottery protection. This is lottery protection not in their favor. So uh, they, they actually have incentive to win instead of to lose, and they were uh, losing quite a bit to teams that they wanted that they really wanted to beat uh, going on, teams that were even behind them during this time. Although they ended up finishing, again, uh, tied with the, uh, with the Grizzlies for the... Um, I actually, it was the it was the fifth worst record in the NBA, not the fourth worst record. I'm sorry. Or I'm sorry. It is tied for the fourth worst record. Yes, fourth and fifth were tied. So, um, yeah. But uh, yeah. So so where did the uh, what ended up being the future of this? I think I think, and it's hard to f- nail it down exactly, but I believe this ended up being Mike Miller, who would be the uh, 2001 Rookie of the Year. And it seems kind of weird, and, and it'll be even more weird when you realize that this. Uh, was traded in 1993. This pick, so uh, this is the uh, the Golden State. So Mike Miller, kind of, you follow his path. He was traded by the Golden State Warriors as a future 2000 first round pick with Anthony Hardaway, a 1996 first round pick. That's Todd Fuller, and a 1998 first round pick, Vince Carter, uh, to the Orlando Magic for Chris Webber. So this is the Chris Webber Anthony Hardy tra- Hardaway trade. You know, rearing its ugly head many many years later as well, with Vince Carter and Mike Miller both being drafted with the picks uh, that were sent uh, to Orlando for for Chris Webber. But uh, yeah, it's hard to nail that down exactly if that's how it went and a few other things got traded and whatnot and this might have been the Vince Carter thing but I think the Vince Carter thing got traded before this as well but you know kind of following the path and sort of figuring out where it all went I believe that this pick that they were trying to avoid was eventually Mike Miller who would end up being the rookie of the year that year as well so um, pretty good but yeah it's uh, we're still you know many many years away from that pick being made yeah because they actually got that pick back for, for Vince they, they actually got the Vince Carter pick back from Orlando because that right, was originally right. part of that trade. Yeah. And then they, um, yeah, they, there were other trades we don't need to get. I really, I really wish basketball offense didn't put like the future first. Cause like ever since they added that, I get in these wormholes where I'm like, well, <laughs> now I'm going to like look at Todd Fuller and where that pick went. And, and then I do. And then I find out that Todd Fuller, you know, was originally traded in 1981 as a part of the San Diego Clippers. I'm like, Oh my God, yes. what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Uh, all right, well, here, here we go. We'll, we'll, we'll dig into this anyway, so why not? So it was – so the pick was traded initially, as we talked about, for, in, for the Chris Webber trade. And then it was traded by the Magic um, to the Bullets um, in a it, selection of trades that really aren't that interesting. And then it was traded by the Bullets to the Warriors in the Chris Webber trade. So they got it back – so I guess they traded it – they – they got it back for Chris Webber after they had traded it for Chris, Chris Webber. So, <laughs> right. uh, yes. So, yeah, that, that's not confusing at all. So, yes. So, anyway, that, that's a fun time. Damn you, basketball reference. That two, <laughs> Damn you. That, two th- that 2000 pick, I think, stayed with the war, with the, um, uh, yeah, with the magic for that entire time. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Fun times. All right. Uh, I think that's all we got. I think we have wrapped it up. We have covered this uh, era pretty well, and now I'm excited about the uh, playoffs and the end of the season. What's going to happen here with the exciting NBA season going on right now? And I think uh, think things are going to get uh, ramped up here in a little bit more as well. So, 
yeah, some fun stuff is going to happen. You know, we'll uh, we'll we'll see what uh, we'll, we'll see what, what goes on. We'll see whether the uh, it, the whether uh, the labor strife causes us issues. We'll see whether the uh, you know the the Bulls can uh, pull it together and uh, win one more ring and uh, you know all that good stuff. We'll we'll, we'll see what happens. There's there's a lot of uh, a lot of fun times ahead. All right. Well, thanks everyone for checking us out. Uh, you can find us at the uh, Step Back at fansire.com and you can also uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. You can uh, also, uh, if you uh, if you like us and you've been listening to us, please leave us a rating and review. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on pretty much every any place you uh, listen to podcasts. We are there. If we're not there, you should let us know and we'll try to get on there. Uh, yeah, and thanks for listening and we'll be back again soon.